Okay. He's like, I'm Seymour. <laughs> I'm so not evil. everybody music of the year continues pressing onward today we have two more super awesome special guests and of course joining me is my perennial co-host i am caitlin argeros and we have lots of music today we do have lots of music today courtesy of formerly square nx music online now game music online our pal don kotowski hello everyone how's it going fantastic don thank you for being here with us also joining us my illustrious blue glowy Jedi predecessor at RPG Fan Music, the one, the only, the invincible Iron Pat Gan. Hate leads to suffering. Wait, wait. Is he the Obi-Wan, she or Luke Skywalker? I'd prefer that because I don't want him to be the Qui-Gon Jinn to my Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's <laughs> he'll get impaled and be in a dumb movie. Yeah, I I really don't want to be Liam Neeson unless it's in Taken. Dumb action is what I'm all about. Dumb action is my life. Yeah. Speaking of not-so-dumb action, we have some picks here from you all. Thank you for, again, joining us with your selections for the best of 2014. Uh, you guys, I have a lot of respect for both of your selections. You know far more about game music than I do, and so you always show up and bring things that I wouldn't think of. So that trend is continued here. So, Don, I believe you picked the first track, which is one yeah. I'm familiar with. But uh, Yes, I did. I chose The Revolving Wheel of Fate from... Memoria, the arranged album dedicated to the very best of Yoko Shimomura. And the reason I chose it was because I like how much more dramatic this arrangement is compared to the soundtrack version. Most definitely. And then, Pat, you had our second track in the block. Yeah, I took from the album Prescription for Sleep, Game Music Lullabies, which is an arranged album from Scarlet Moon Records. Um, that album is all just piano and saxophone. And they did an arrangement of Song of the Ancients from my favorite game of the last decade, which is Nier. And they make it sound so good. I mean, you can't not sound good with that melody, but I really like this arrangement of it. Yeah, they did. They definitely did justice to it. We had Jason on earlier. And we talked about Prescription for Sleep. But all right, for our first block, we got Revolving Wheel of Fate from Memoria and Song of the Ancients from Prescription for Sleep.
So, Don, I, you know, I'm a, obviously, I tell everybody this, and anyone who listens to the show knows I'm just a giant sucker for Yoko Shimomura. And uh, Memoria is an interesting album because I think, and uh, probably intentionally, it's very different from Dramatica. Uh, I would say, if I'm speaking purely, if I'm getting objective about it, I think Dramatica is maybe the better album, but I think there's a lot of really interesting and unique sound on Memoria. But The Revolving Wheel of Fate is interesting because I think it's actually sort of more in the line of, dramatica style tracks where it's a little more dramatic a little more a little fuller i think it's not quite as poppy as some of the memoria material but i really do like this track uh yeah i would agree i'm not the biggest fan of the non-orchestral tracks on this uh well let me rephrase it i'm not the biggest fan of the non-orchestral main tracks the bonus tracks are all fine because the one from whatever the game is demon score or something yeah that one i i really enjoy but yeah, as far as the pop or synth rock goes, I think those kind of stick out as sore thumbs on the album, just because you go from two orchestral tracks in the beginning to, oh, what's this? This is what is the, yeah. No, I, I mean, agree. It's just the react like, and I know a lot of people think that those tracks should have just been excluded, but I mean, I don't think they should be excluded. I'm just not a big fan of them. Yeah, you know, like I we we actually played one of them on the show, and Derek and I had a conversation where he actually really didn't like them either, and I sort of did, but it's one of those cases where I can absolutely appreciate why somebody might not like that because it is very different from what's on the the rest of the album. Like, you know, I feel like they would have made better bonus tracks almost, but they, you know, they're they're so different from like, for example, this track we just listened to that I think it does sort of, it's jarring. They're yeah, palate yeah, cleansers. That's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Yeah, Very diplomatic. I try. They could have produced more music. Hideaways could have just done their own tribute album to Shimomura, and I would have happily bought it. I um, think these would those tip, those three tracks in general probably would have been better off on an SQ album, even though those are of varying quality. But I yeah. think they fit more in that category. Yeah, I think the song that we're talking about is um good i um i don't think heroes of mana is really worthy of such goodness <laughs> and that was true with dramatica as well heroes of mana is in my opinion a terrible game it's it's got all the things mana tends to have great artwork great music and bad everything else <laughs> um, Legend uh, of mana recently was, anyway yeah recently legend of mana and everything before is fine anyway Revolving Wheel of Fate, I think, is is that the opener uh, for that game, or is it the end credits? No, I think it's something towards the end, but not... Because yeah, it plays before the final battles, Yeah, as far as I... At least in terms of soundtrack order. Yeah, yeah, I've never right. played the game. Yeah, I uh, I got halfway through and gave up. Um, it, it gets really hard, actually. Um, yeah, what's interesting, too, is like I remember that came out right in that period of time where square was doing games like that like they did revenant wings final fantasy 12 which i actually thought was really good i thought revenant wings was good it too. was really good but then like heroes of mana is you know, on the surface it seems like it's almost the same concept it's just terrible well heroes of mana came out before revenant wings i feel like they experimented and then figured out how to make it good later poor, poor I'm mana selfishly happy it worked that way instead of the other <laughs> way around caitlin is our resident I... ff12 Singer of praises. It's my favorite Final Fantasy, and don't you be judging me for that. I won't judge you. I will continue to judge that game's terrible ending. 
I'll call it a non-ending, actually. That is uh, that is not a complaint I've ever heard about that game. That's interesting. Really? I mean, yeah. when Matsuno had his nervous breakdown and left, like the team didn't know how to finish it, so they were just like, "Well, we got this far. Let's uh, let's wrap it up with them uh, fighting Vayne and never doing doing anything." Like Matsuno was out around the time they had finished, like them meeting all the what are they called? The like ethereal the Alkyria? Of the fate. Yeah, yeah, like. They, like, that should be the issue. You and Venant and Vane all agree that they are wrong and you forge your own destiny. And so you prove it by fighting each other. Like, <laughs> isn't that what they predicted? That, like, oh, so stupid. You guys well, should team up would... and go take down the douchebag judges. I'm, I know this is so far from what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> we are off topic. But it's just, it's just a terrible ending. And then it's just like, oh, Ash is sad forever. And Vaughn was never important, as we all know. Like, it's just, it's just, it's a non-ending. The only character that matters in the end is Balthier, let's face it. He's the only one who matters in my heart. Because yeah. he's the but hero. His dad. He is the hero. He's the consummate the, hero. The main character, right? Speaking of the main character of this podcast, Song of the Ancients Near is a great main character, too. You know, the You're music were the main character. Um, well, the main character of that song is Norihiko Hibino, who is the saxophone soloist and the guy behind the Prescription for Sleep album lineup. They have two previous albums that are um, original compositions, and they're meant to be sort of new age, peaceful, relaxing albums. And so this was the first one that went into game music. And again, um, Song of the Ancients already had, just on the original soundtrack, there were four iterations. There was Devola's version, Popola's version, and then the two of them oh, yeah. together in the tavern, and then the two of them singing together for their battle sequence, which um, you get you get different tempos, you get different melodies and counter melodies, like each version's a little different. So just there you get four versions. And then there's different arrangements on the different arranged albums. Um, there's the piano collection. I mean there's there's lots of versions of this song. And I feel like for Prescription for Sleep, they just really stripped it down. The piano part, actually, the piano comp work in the background and then the little solo that he gets is is really nice. But the sax taking the you know the lead melody that I think would have been Devilas to sing. I might have that right. <laughs> I'd have to check. Um, but he sticks more with the melody that comes in earlier than the one that like da na na, and then the second person goes da na. Right, you gotta right. They one person comes in on one, and the other person comes in on three. And I think he sticks with the person who comes in on one. And I think that's Devola. Um, this is real near nerd trivia right here. Um, he he. Hey, holds that's what that I got melody. you here for. You know it. You're the expert. He holds the melody really nicely. I feel like he he holds the notes slightly longer than the vocalist because he. You can't do as much expression with a sax as you can with your own voice. So he has to find other ways to compensate. And I think the best way you do that is by just being a little more rubato, just just spreading the notes out and being a little more flexible with what you do with the, uh, the rhythm of the notes themselves. And I think he does it very well. That's a much better explanation than the one-word comment I wrote, which was saxophone because of how good the saxophone is. So, yeah. I, I think <laughs> you I'll have take, ex, you have explained I, that much better than I could have. 
I'm sure Hibino-san would love that you said saxophone. <laughs> Give you that, a hug. That that album as a whole is great because um, we did a whole episode on sleepy themes, and uh, it was all sort of inspired by that. And I really, you're, I agree with what you said. I really feel like they took the melody and did a great job, sort of parsing it for a different instrument that's very different from the human voice, and it comes across really well here. And yeah, I guess like, I guess the best like no saxophones on that OST, so. It's interesting to have that be a lead. Yeah, most definitely. Can I also just say that I like having these two tracks back to back because they're, I mean, obviously, you know, different composers, different styles, but they sound kind of like they're they're similar. They're both kind of melancholy, and yet they also are really distinct. Think, yeah, they have a very that. somber tone to them. Yeah, like just like the the strings and Rolling Mill of Fate versus the the sax and Song of the Ancients, it's 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 a nice sort of distinction, and yet they both kind of still have that feel of sadness to them. We're starting out sad because by the end we're gonna be crazy. Yeah, we're gonna be happy. It's happy, all awesome music. Happy like Ricky, hit up on happy. Ricky, okay. sticky. Don, what were you gonna say about the song? Yeah, we I was going to digress from your opinions. Because I can. I appreciate what the album is going for, but most of it, since I don't listen to music while I sleep, is a little too soft jazz for me. I mean, I appreciate what they do, but I don't really like it. <laughs> I think that's perfectly legitimate to have that as a, as a not a complaint, but as a, you know, a, a beef, which is basically just another word for complaint, yeah. whatever. But no, I agree. It's, it's sort of like, you know, you have that, uh, what is it? It's like a Final Fantasy XI music box album. From a technical standpoint, I respect that album, but do I want to listen to it? No. Yeah, that's when I listen to music, I want something more engaging overall, and I don't really feel that with this album, but yeah, this, this is, is a fun opinion. This is an album that is there to help you let go, and if if you try to engage it, you'll just find yourself bored and want to go on to another activity. And I've noticed it just having been friends with Don for so long, Don you do tend to really enjoy engaging music. And I know um, you were the one that introduced me to uh, Cave, all of their games, all the composers. I would call their stuff engaging. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they really... Very active. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, Electronica in general, um, you know, Shinji Hosoe and Super Sweep and all of that, I think they're, that says a lot about your preference in music. No, I mean, I don't exclusively listen to electronic music. Well, yeah, I mean, you pick Revolving Wheel of Fate. You obviously have a diverse taste for music, but I do think... Um, but yes, yes, I do you, like things that are a little more... Activity is something, that's something that your ears and your brain really like. Like, you really like a lot of layering and, and dynamic variation, and that's just something I've, I've noticed about... I mean, and in your writing, all the reviews you've done, it's something I've picked up as well. No, you wouldn't be wrong there. I'm with Don on that one. I mean, I, I like this album too, but I'm definitely uh, a little more on the angle of the, I like the, I don't want to say exciting because this is not exciting, but you know, active, I, uh, active music is a good term for it. I drink chamomile tea and read self-help books. So this book or this album is like right up my alley. <laughs> Very mellow for that. It's good backdrop. It's, it's, a ba- it's backdrop music. We're doing a lot of soul searching in this segment. I, I know you guys are making it real. Gosh. I do. I, soul searching is all I do these days. Nothing it's wrong with that. Job. Speaking of your full-time job, soul searching, you pick the next track, which is absolutely. Austin Wintery could have been a one-hit wonder with Journey. 
I was nervous that he would be. Um, and to take on Banner Saga as his next major project uh, was a bit of a risk. Um, the studio, the individuals in the studio had good credentials. They had worked for BioWare previously. Um, but there was no guarantee that the game itself would be good. And there was no guarantee that Austin was going to have a repeat success. And while the soundtrack to the Banner Saga is a completely different animal than the soundtrack to Journey, oh, yeah. there's, there's no question in my mind that what he wrote and what he did with Banner Saga is absolutely incredible. And so I chose a short track right near the end of the OST called We Are All Guests Upon the Land that... Um, probably my favorite track on the album the one before it as well that's like this big 10 minute medley uh both of those like the two of them go hand in hand for me but i really like this last one it's not quite a dirge it's um it's it is a very reflective and soul-searching kind of theme actually the title just sounds very you you would expect a native american to say it over a viking but i suppose they could they could all say it and um it, it fits the end of the game too, I think. It fits the game, and I'd like to, and I'd like to say that it fits a stance and a position of humility when mankind looks upon itself against the backdrop of the world and and says, maybe we are not our own greatest good. Um, that's that's a dangerous statement to make, but you put it to music like this, and that pill is a little easier to swallow. I think that's a very thoughtful introduction for this track. I like it, Pat, and Don. Speaking of the end of games, what do we have from you, Don? Well, it's the, I would say, almost the exact opposite in tone. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. It is the guest track from the Oretrian Odyssey-inspired Persona game, composed by the composer for Etrian Odyssey, and it follows the themes of his boss themes uh, in terms of naming, disturbances, one called the one called From Beyond, and what I really like about this track is that it has that Etrian Odyssey flavor, but it also has that Atlas-like Shin Megami flavor as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely has a, a strong Persona vibe. We'll, we'll talk more about it after, but I, I definitely agree with you there. So coming up next, we've got We Are All Guests Upon the Land, and then Disturbances, the one called from beyond. Yeah, <laughs> 
So I've I've played Banner Saga music on the show before because I'm obvi- I'm a huge fan of the game and the music. It, you know, it, it was the third place if you want to say I used places I sort of didn't in my game of the year. Uh, I think that game is a, a flirts as close to perfection as a game has in a while uh, for a lot of reasons, particularly artistically, how it looks and sounds. Uh, are sort of key to how it puts its experience together. The way all that stuff sort of synthesizes is just amazing. And uh, that entire game is just suffused with this incredible sense of melancholy. Like, I, the, the game is gray. And not in a, like, this is bland and uninteresting gray, but gray as in, it's it's never quite happy. Uh, and I think that's the part of the tone. And the, the storyline also sort of feeds into the track of this title, We Are All Guests Upon the Land. Uh, and so I would say I have nothing but good things to say about this track. Uh, I think in particular, uh, I really like the vocals. I think they capture the sense of this group of people you have together so well in the tone of this like Viking Norse Nordic thing that they have going on. Cause it's sort of a fusion of all those things. Uh, and the song just captures that perfectly. Um, this is going to sound weird, but I kind of get like Western, like, you know, the movie style Western vibes from it. I don't know if it's just like the, the melody that kind of feels like what you'd hear in a spaghetti Western, or if it's the percussion and some of the instrumentation, I but think is, I think it is the drums because the Westerns would use like drums that go kind of native American. And again, I, I think there is a strong native American thing going on with this song. Yeah, I could see that it has like a sort of a frontiersy feel to it. Yes, it is frontiersy. I, I very much imagine a cold night, a, a fire, a big old blanket, and me just huddled with the other survivors crying. <laughs> like, that's that's how I feel. Like, we're happy we're alive, but, oh, like, oh, shit, we've been through it. That's a, that's not far from what it, what it is. So, yeah, uh, I think it's eliciting the appropriate response. That sounds like real life. Doesn't it? <laughs> oh boy, we're getting way too depressing here. Oh boy, soul searching. Remember, soul searching. Well, well, good news, guys. I'm not going to diverge from your opinions this time. Right. <laughs> um, I real I haven't heard all of the Banner Saga, but what I have heard, I've really enjoyed. I didn't get so much a Western feel, but I did kind of get a medieval vibe with, especially with the vocals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was definitely a very reflective theme, as has already been. Uh, touched upon and I just think that the actual the whole performance from the instruments to the vocals are top notch but I wouldn't expect anything less most definitely speaking of not expecting anything less Yuzo Koshiro is the man and he brings it all the way to Persona Q Uh, Disturbances One Call From Beyond that that song is just that whole soundtrack, you know, we've already played a, a ton of tracks from it. I'm sure we're going to be playing more, Caitlin. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, you know it. I, I think with good reason. That's a really great, uh, and again, I don't want to repeat myself from earlier segments, but it's it's new Persona music that also seems like it fits into the canon of Persona 3 and 4, which themselves are very different sounds. But there's this sort of common thread that runs through them. So that makes it, to me, all the more impressive that Koshiro not only captured his own sound here, and his own, you know, the, the types of themes that he makes use of, but also made it fit into that sort of persona canon of music. Uh, yeah, I would agree. It uh, reminds me more of the Devil Summoner music, because that's very, I would say, sax kind of. At least the games I remember, there used to, there was a lot of battle themes that had that kind of 
yeah. exact sound to it. Like not quite jazzy, but like smooth. That's definitely yeah. the, that's the devil yeah. summoner vibe I always got. Yes, but then mixed in with like the awesome rock lead melody and the intro was just straight up Shin Megami style. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, I think it's the Almighty from Persona Four. Uh, yes, it, yeah, yeah, it reminds it, it, me yeah. of one of those very much so. But the performances all around are spectacular, and I absolutely love that guitar solo. Oh my god, it's so good. Here's to hoping Etrian Odyssey 5 gets released this year, which I suspect that it will, but it's too early to the to actually mention or get any info because they just released the second game's remake. So this all they the have now is they have, just have a teaser site. Oh, for, I got really excited for a second because you said they released the second game's remake, and I was like, in the U.S.? <gasps> no, then, not yet. No, I'm still waiting on that. I, oh, man, that one. And then I'm really hoping after 5 we get a remake of 3 because, oh, boy, 3 is amazing. Musically, especially. Yes, uh, yes I would, I, it would be seconds. very interesting to see how he takes those themes because Etrian Odyssey 1 and 2 are very much more relaxing in terms of their dungeon themes, and I think that the style of music that he's used for both of the games has translated very well to the original music, but the original music in 3 is a whole different beast. And on that same side, I kind of hope that Etrian Odyssey 5 follows along those footsteps, because at least from the backdrop image, it looks like we're going to have a really diverse set of locales to discover. That series just keeps getting better. And I, I am consistently amazed at how long Koshiro has been prolific and how he's managed to really sort of keep his music so fresh. I mean, you know, I, I you know, when I was but a wee lad playing Etrian Odyssey for the first time and had no idea who Koshiro was, I was like, you know, I didn't realize there was this 20 year history to his music already. Yeah. Uh, and he's That's so diverse. You know, yeah. he, he he's reinvented his style, I feel like. Because, you know, there are things that for me I can identify in Koshiro, like in this track, but you know, you go back and listen to some of his stuff from like 20 years ago, and it's so interesting to hear like how it's evolved from there. No, absolutely. And as an aside, again, I'm calling it now. I I would almost bet real money that we're going to the moon as either the bonus dungeon or whatever in Etronasi 5. Mark my words. There's two moons in that image. Why? <laughs> because one I, of them is the final dungeon. Or yeah, a bonus I read into things too much, so I don't know. And it looks like that building could be a spaceship also, but... I'm so down with that. Imagine that if your good. your transport was a spaceship, you went to, like, different planets or something. That'd be awesome. Oh, my God, that would be... <laughs> that train <laughs> odyssey. In space! Spacey and odyssey. Well, that would give him a lot of uh, flexibility musically and artistically, too. Uh, like, the whole team, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Sort of like how Mario Galaxy gave them license to go bananas with, like, Donut World and stuff. Although they did that in Mario World, so I guess it's not that out of... Oh, yes! Speaking of things I want to hear about, I don't know what Sokai Buccaneers is, but it seems like you have picked your next track from it, Don. Could you possibly introduce my heathen self to that? Uh, yes. It's, it is a visual novel for the PS Vita, and as you might suspect, it's pirate-themed. I don't know much more about it, Ahoy. Um, to be honest, because it's, as most visual novels, a Japanese, you know, only type of game. Mm-hmm. And it's composed by this studio. It's not the greatest soundtrack, you know, compared to what else we're showing, but this track I really enjoyed. Excellent. Don is diversifying it up in here because we yeah, all... I, I did it last year, too. I chose a track that probably no one has ever heard of. <laughs> That's why we love you, Don. Well, one of the reasons. 
Speaking of things we love, Pat, what did you pick from? Oh, um, I did track three uh, from the soundtrack for A Bird's Story, which is the um, spiritual successor and seems to be setting up for a much larger narrative in the in the universe of To the Moon and the folks there uh, from Congao and, and Freebird Studio. The song is called uh, Yesterday Reversed because the track before it is Yesterday Not Reversed, uh, but I like the reverse effect on this track. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and take a listen to Going to the Sea from Sokai Buccaneers and Yesterday Reversing from A Bird Story.
So, this track is really interesting. Uh, I've I've been wanting to sort of delve more into visual novel music lately, and Don is always very helpful with that. You know, ever since I played VLR in 999, I was sort of, which is uh, Shinji Hosoi, and I was, you know, I really love the music in those games. It's such an interesting type of gameplay to have to score music for. And so it's it's not it's not to say that some visual novel soundtracks don't have this come to the forefront sound to them, but they have a very, at least the ones by Hosoi that I've heard, have a very particular quality of, you know, accompanying other activities like puzzle solving or reading. Um that have this really strong narrative effect, like Morphogenetic Sorrow from 999 is amazing when you pair it with what happens in the finale of that game. And this is really interesting because this is, to me, stylistically very different from what I'm familiar with when it comes to visual novel music. Uh, It's very like like live band performance. Like, you know, there's that guitar in the middle that I really like and that whole build up towards the end that just really sort of... I'd be interested to see the words that it accompanies is sort of what I'm trying to say, I guess. No, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure how it works in game either, but a lot of visual novels have lots of styles that even when I was unfamiliar, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in the visual novel soundtrack field, that you don't expect. I'm like, what? This sounds like an RPG battle theme. Why? There's no battles. Why does this need to be in it? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that's like you'll hear a song and I'm like, this is so intense. Yeah, it's not what I expect to hear. A lot of the visual novels I played... The music is okay, but it's kind of just meant to be in the background. It's not supposed to be special or, you know, take your attention away from the, what you're reading or the, what's being said. But this is like a showcase piece in some ways. Absolutely. And then we, we sort of run, run in the opposite direction with yesterday. Uh, I'll be totally honest. Reverse music terrifies me. I don't know why. I think it's because back in middle school, I watched some internet flash video that was like, look for the hidden object. And, you know, the first one's like a weird hidden object. Second one's like a lamp upside down that looks like somebody's underwear. The third one is like sort of inscrutable. And then it screams and shows a bunch of corpse pictures and plays Cradle of Filth. And so it terrified me to death and it was using reversed music. So maybe it's just my subconscious kicking in. But it's interesting that this would actually be on the soundtrack. Um, I, I haven't played a bird story yet. But it's interesting that they would have both a reversed and a forward version of the track on the actual album. And this is early in the album, too. This is like track two or three, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's essentially part of the game's prologue. And it's just setting the stage for... I mean, the game has no dialogue. There's no words. You just walk around and the visuals are your cue. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Within the first five minutes, Kangao tells you quite a bit about who this little boy is and what's going on in his life. And you, that music, both forward and reverse, are really essential for conveying the mundaneness of being a little kid that goes to school every day and comes home and his parents don't ever get home till he's already asleep, so he fixes his own dinner and he's just so lonely. Yeah, are you crying yet? It sounds depressing. Oh, my God. It gets better and then it gets a lot worse. Oh, uh, boy. I love the song. I understand that some people get really freaked out by the reverse thing. I I love that sound. I loved it in the Inception soundtrack. Yeah, I was indifferent towards the track, but I think I don't. I'm not averse to it. I'm just I don't know what the original sounds like, so I can't appreciate it as much. Yeah, it's kind of my problem too. Yeah, I you know I'm actually gonna have to go back and listen because I like I, I've listened to the Bird Story soundtrack very 
a very cursory listen, um, and I, I should listen to yesterday just because I would like to have that sort of reference because it's like there's this interesting melody hiding in the reverse version that my terror is preventing me from sort of latching onto. It's an interesting concept. Does it actually play in reverse in the game too? There comes a time in the game where basically all your inputs get locked, and whether you're holding forward or up or down or backward, no matter what you're pressing, you're going to walk backwards. And during that whole sequence, the backwards music happens. Well, that at least it makes sense in that term. It makes sense and why it would fit in the game. Yep. But it's a very interesting idea, even if it comes out kind of sounding a little creepy. Um one of the things I love to do with like the original Little Big Planet would be the the player created stages where you move your character and it plays like a you know well known video game song and I would go to the end and then I would go backwards because it would activate in reverse just to hear what some of my favorite you know tracks sounded like and sometimes they would be weird and creepy kind of like this and sometimes they would actually make sense as songs in reverse and that I always thought that that was kind of cool that is an interesting anecdote yeah didn't they do that with one of the zelda tunes and then incorporate the backwards melody into a actual song that sounds like something they would have done in majora's mask i think it was in skyward sword if i'm not mistaken but i don't I know should, i should know that that's the only 3d zelda i've beaten <laughs> yes. the only one i haven't played i'm a shameful human <laughs> aren't you still working on Wind Waker? Yes, but then uh, that's my favorite one, too, which is, makes it all the more terrible that I haven't finished it. On the same note of finishing it, let's go ahead and introduce the last block of tracks we get for today, which I believe, Pat, you have the first one. I'm in, like, a state of anger that no one else seems to love this as much as I do. Maybe it's just the name that throws people off. Rebirth to Sen Saga Battle Orange album. The titling got stupid. The, the name admittedly makes me shy away from it sometimes because I'm like, I can never search this thing because there's way too many pieces yeah. of grammar in there. So basically what this album is, is uh, composer Kenji Ito was like, hey, everyone in the current lineup of Falcons JDK band, come make a rock range album with me. And they were like, OK. And then later he was like, that was fun. Let's do it again. And they were like, oh, yeah. And this time. Let's not limit ourselves to the Romancing Saga trilogy. Let's hit some other titles in the series. And they did. And in my opinion, they should just do an entire album for the first Saga Frontier, which never got its own arranged album back in its heyday in the mid to late 90s. On Rebirth 2, Sen, they did three battle themes from Saga Frontier. The one we're listening, going to listen to is standard battle five for saga frontier nuts you know how this works but for the rest of you who don't know there are five standard battle themes and then each of the seven characters have a final battle theme so the game has 12 battle themes they should just get a rock band together and do all of them and release an album but at least they got us battle one battle five and then it was either amelia's or acelis's final battle theme so battle five is really really good and the production value is just... I hope this I album is one of my favorites of the year. It's not my favorite, but it's up there, I think. Yeah, it's a really good one. And I know we have a zillion Falcom listeners. So guys, go listen to this. Really? What's wrong with you? And then, uh, Don, last track of the day. What do you got? My last track of the day is from a series that I'm also not familiar with. That's a common thing with me. I listen to more game music than I actually play games. Story um, of life. 
but it's from the recently released Arno Surge uh, game, and it is also a battle theme. It's the final battle theme, and it's it's very interesting for a final battle theme. But again, a lot of the games in the Arno Tonalico and Seal No Surge and this game have very interesting music for their battle themes at times. But I think this one has an amazing production value and I and compositional quality and I blame that or not blame but attribute it attribute yeah blamely attribute attribute it to Kenji Kawaii the famed composer who did folklore or folk soul as you might know it as in Japan and then also a lot of animes if I'm not mistaken yeah, I was actually that that was the first time I heard this composer was in uh folklore and I didn't even know who the composer was, but it was really great stuff. And we actually uh we had Zach Reese on earlier from RPG site and he brought a track from Arno Surge and that game just has a, a rad soundtrack in general. But let's let's save the chatter for after we listen. So coming up we have Battle Five from Saga Frontier and Rossio Reincarnation.
So I was telling everyone when I, while we were listening to this track that I'm sort of trying to rediscover the Saga Frontier music because I owned the game as a kid and I played a lot of it. Well, it felt like a lot of it, I'm sure. As an adult, it wouldn't seem like that much. But it has this really interesting collection of sort of eclectic music. And the idea that the Falcom team would take to this music is really cool to me. And I, I sort of wish I had given this album more attention this year because it is really cool. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest Falcom fan in the world. I, I respect a lot of their work. But I, to me, you know, I've, I've said this a hundred thousand times, not going to say it again. Uh, but this track in particular, I really like this sort of combination of that original Ito sound with the Falcom thing they got going on. I liked hearing you say that. Everything or just the guitar riff part? All of it. Good. What do you think of it? I have a hard time saying it's my favorite track on the album. I think it was the... I put it on here because it's the one I thought would best represent the album and hopefully get people paying attention to it. Um, just having these three songs on um, Rebirth 2 Sen uh, makes up for it. And then the other songs, there's one from Saga 2 and there's more Romancing Saga trilogy stuff, which is really good. So it's all worth listening to. But I think Battle 5 is just... It, I mean, it just hits you right from the beginning and it doesn't let up. So that's why I like it. Hits you from the beginning and doesn't let up is how I would describe a lot of the work Falcom participates in. But, you know, the, like, I, I agree with you. I The album itself is well worth listening to. I don't know that I've listened to it enough to have a favorite yet, but I do like this one a lot. Uh, yes, I also enjoy this track a lot. It's not my favorite on the album, but my favorite does come from the Saga Frontier set of three. And that's The Last Battle of Celis. Yeah. Oh, that's such Celis a good song. Is, is if I hadn't picked this track, I would have picked that track, because that one is also crazy good. But yeah, it has a nice synth rock sound to it, and I think the Falcon JDK band works wonders with this uh, style of music. It's what they're known for. Most definitely. Rossiel Reincarnation, we, I, I, we've talked a little bit about Art, um, not Artinelico, Arno Surge a little bit already on the Music of the Year show when Zach brought a track from it. But it's, uh, Gust's sound team is just, I, I feel like I have done a wrong by not listening to more of their music because it's all so good. And the, especially the vocals in this one, you know, a lot of JRPGs use dramatic choirs and vocals to sort of, for the finale effect, you know, this, ever since Sephiroth and the Latin choir thing in there, I feel like it's sort of become a trope almost. But I'm always impressed when somebody can use the voices in sort of an interesting way as their own instrument, because that's how I would describe it here. It's basically its own instrument and that it carries all throughout. I mean, it's a major part of the song. This is not a backing vocal, I would say. And uh, it, it captures a really interesting sort of vibe for it. Yeah, the uh, the vocal tunes on all these soundtracks in the Arno series, they're all usually composed by special guests. And not the Gus sound team themselves. Oh, okay. Uh, the singer, the the singer that you hear in the beginning, at the very hymnal part, she's been a mainstay for a while. Her name's Akiko Shikata. But yeah, she's she's been around the longest of the three that I would identify as the key. Like it's her and Haruka Shimatsuki and Noriko Mitose. But Akiko Shikata has sort of become like the face of the Tanelico slash R-No-Surge world. I know Shimotsuki. She did the uh, vocal theme from uh, Radium Historia. Woo! And, uh, you said Shimotsuki? Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, also did the, she also sang in the opening theme to Adelir Iris 3. Yeah. 
which was composed by Bravely Default's Revo. Or Revo. Really? Yeah. Just the theme was, yeah. Yeah, the main theme was. Just the main theme. Okay. That's interesting. I had no idea. Now you know. We love we love Revo on, on Rhythm Encounter. Revo is a fan. Uh-huh. Right, Caitlin? Yes. Oh, yes. I know. I can't. If we, if we could, we play every track from that soundtrack. Although, <laughs> we probably have, you know, if we look back on things. Don, yeah, Don introduced me to him. Sorry. Off I top. mean, I wish I could have introduced you personally, but I <laughs> haven't even done that yet. So would, someday. It's kind of reclusive. I, would, I may not. Yeah, he's very reclusive from what I hear. And if I ever got a chance to meet him, I don't know if I would live. <laughs> to sell the tale. Maybe I don't he, want you to meet him. He'd well, die happy. I'm hopefully moving to Japan, so if you need a place to stay to go to one of his concerts, you're welcome to come visit. Oh my god, I would... I, would, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, I'm going too, but... Heart, of course, heartbeat. I would, in a heartbeat. That's that's on my bucket list. I want to go to one of those shows so badly. His, they are just bananas. Yeah, but back on topic of the track, I really like the progression of this one. It's, it starts out as like a very hymnal type of track, and then it just gets more... It keeps the same tone, but it gets more vibrant, especially with the Tokyo Philharmonic Choir in the background. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's. I'm trying to think of the right word to articulate sort of how I feel about it, but like the last part of the track reminds me of almost like one of the Fire Emblem anthems from Smash Brothers. Like, I, I don't know why, but the melody is just so evocative of that to me. I, I was having a conniption listening to this because I knew I had heard something very similar to this before, but I couldn't place it. And then I realized uh, Kenji Kawai does a lot of anime, and I've uh, watched some of the anime and the movies that he scored, and it sounds a lot like like that. Interesting. It, it seems like, you know, I you always learn what you don't know. That's the, the true wisdom, I guess, knowing what you don't know. But it's there are so many, like... It feels like lately, especially, so many anime composers that are contributing to games like, you know, one or two tracks or many tracks and, you know, Sawano, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Woo! Um, <laughs> Apparently I read, I don't know if it's true or not, but I read that the soundtrack for that was finished in 2012. For Xenoblade Chronicles? Yeah, X. X. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I guess, wow. you know, they plan out, they know where I stuff mean, is I mean, I read it be. on VGMDB, so, I mean, on his, on his artist, like, topic plot, so I don't know if it's true or not, but... I don't remember seeing like a link to it, but if that's the case, I mean, I mean, it's probably been in production for a while, but and he's a very busy man, I can imagine. Yeah, that's fascinating. I had no idea. But I don't know if that little tidbit of information is true. So maybe it'll come out in the future. To jump back a bit, it's interesting to talk about the sort of, I guess, uh, anime and video game soundtracks and how they are influencing each other or maybe merging a little bit. Seemed like for a while you could you could really split the two up and you could say oh this is an anime soundtrack oh this is a video game soundtrack and now it's kind of it's not as easy to say oh that's anime that's game it, it, this would have sound I would have thought that this could be an anime uh, track and not something from a game from listening to it that's an interesting argument to make I, I I mean I don't I wouldn't say I wholeheartedly disagree with it but. It's interesting because I feel like earlier JRPG music was especially inspired by anime. I feel like a lot of the composers did sort of look to anime, you know, the 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 sort of format for the music to anime. Um, you know, and that's not something that I have researched or have anything, you know, factual to back up with. But 
I, I sort of feel like that's why, you know, JRPG music on the whole has a very different melodic slant to it than a lot of Western RPG music, which is very ambiance. Not that's not obviously not universally true, but generally I think it's it's a little more common that way. Well, maybe it has something to do with how the uh, the chipsets have uh, and synths have have radically uh, advanced in the last couple of of decades, from you know old sixteen bit sets to what we have now on uh, current yeah. systems. <laughs> Yeah, like, like it's totally different. Like now, it's like you could just have a song from an anime in a game. You don't like look at a Tales game. I mean, most Tales games, the intro song wouldn't be out of place in an anime. Mm-hmm. What an interesting discussion your track has inspired, Don. Oh, I know. And <laughs> these days, a lot more composers are doing animes, like game composers, like Super hey, Sweep. Hey, Super stuff. Sweep composed the anime this year. No game, no life. Really? Yeah, it sounds very. Super sweet, electronic, very game-like, because the, the, the premise of the game is, I mean, like, the anime is video games, so why not? I need to check that out. I love Super yeah. Sweet. I didn't know about that. I want to check it out, too. Well, I think that is a, as good a time as any for us to wrap up. Uh, as always, Caitlin, thank you for being here tonight. And Pat and Don, you guys are perennial guests. Pat was here. Pat and Don both were here on the very first, like, pilot episode of Rhythm Encounter, so I'm always happy to have you both back. And uh, your picks were excellent. And thank you very much for being here. Anytime. I like to think when he and I get together, we become the cave team. Do, Don, Pat, she. You're lucky I approve of terrible puns. Yay. I may or may not be doing the Patrick Stewart facepalm right now, but I'm not. (laughs) Don't. Don't uh, tell me one way or the other. I'm just going to... I said I'm not. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm doing oh, the one okay. where his hand is out and he's angry and he's like, oh, come on, it's not even over there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that one. one. That meme, that's my favorite of the Patrick Stewart memes. <laughs> that one's fantastic. Well, all right then, everybody, thanks for listening. Please continue to do so because we have tons more coming up. Guests and RPG fan people and all kinds of music. So Music of the Year continues.
and we're back. Music of the Year 2014, Soldiers On. Joining me, perennial co-co-host, Mike. I'm Mike on the boards. You said that already three times. Yes, yes I did. But it's okay. You can say it again. It also is still my name. It is still your name. It hasn't changed? At no, least, not yet. At least this time we didn't bring three mics with us. That's good. Instead, we brought one of RPG Fan Music's new editors, Marcos. Hey! Welcome. We also brought Davey. Hey. They make up... How many people do we hire? They make up a lot of the people we hired for RPG Fan Music this year who are doing awesome and making the site rad and making me look way better than I actually am. Welcome, gentlemen. Also joining us, RPG Fan News, who is like just literally aflame with awesomeness. The outstanding, all-new, new and improved, I can't think of any other adjectives, Peter. Yep. Hi, that's me. I have Fury on the boards. Yes, you have, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh my god, I'm forgetting it. Fawful. You're yeah, Fawful on the boards. Excellent. Fawful everywhere. Fawful everywhere. But not here, <laughs> not in the podcast. Nobody brought any Mario music, but that's because there were no Mario RPGs this year. Um, I think so. Mm. Still, nonetheless, you gentlemen are joining us with your picks for music of the year. This is your first podcast, so we're going to make it an awesome one. Thank you for joining. And let's just go ahead and get right into it. I believe you picked the first track, Marcos, so lay it on us. Yeah, I chose uh, Combat Back uh, from Chaos Ring 3. And then right after that, we've also got Davey. You picked the second track? Yeah, I picked uh, The Maker's Beckoning from Terra Battle by Nobuo Uomatsu. And then closing that block out, Peter, you picked our third track. Yep, I picked uh, Besaid Island from Final Fantasy X HD. Awesome. I love that track. So yep. let's just go ahead and get right into it, and we'll talk about it when we come back. We've got Combat Back from Chaos Rings, The Maker's Beckoning from Terra Battle, and Besaid Island from FF10 HD.
So the Chaos Rings games have crazy cool music, and it's weird because like the only memory I have of Chaos Rings is playing the first one on like my old iPod. I think it was an iPod Touch, maybe, or somebody else's iPod Touch. And I remember being surprised that it was basically Final Fantasy VIII at the time. Like I, I don't know why it reminds me so much of Final Fantasy VIII because I actually think the music has a pretty distinctive style to it. And this one in particular, Marcos, you gave me a couple of picks from from Chaos Rings, and this one in particular just immediately struck out, and I loved it. Is this like when you get back attacked or something, I guess? See, this is the funny part. I, I haven't played the game at all. Uh, I'm under assumption that's what it is, because I believe the name of the other track is, I believe, like front or, or table or something of that sort. Um, I mean, if this is back attack music, uh, I, that's pretty amazing. It doesn't really sound like uh, any danger you're in. Yeah, it sounds more like you're like, hell yeah, we got back attack, woo! I don't know, I was like, all right, I want to be uh, attacked from behind all the time, then, I suppose. <laughs> so, um, are you familiar with the soundtracks to Chaos Rings 1 and 2? Um, not to 1 or Omega, but to 2, yes. Uh, I do own uh, 2 and 3. Um, it's really weird uh, listening to 2 after listening to 3, because three, uh, Chaos Rings 3... Um, also has release on PS Vita, uh, and the sound, my my opinion, sound quality on uh, the other ones is just, I feel like it's inferior. <laughs> really? That's interesting. I didn't know that. I also didn't know it was on Vita. It's not out in the U.S., is it? Oh, uh, no. Sadly, no. See, that's the sad part. I really wish it would come, because I would pick this up in a second. They put the trilogy on the Vita, right? Yeah, the whole trilogy. Okay. Hmm. And I'm not really surprised to hear that the, the sound quality really got a lot better because I did play Chaos Rings and Chaos Rings Omega, and I played Chaos Rings 2, and even that seemed like a big step up. But when I listened to this track, I was like, I can't believe this is still Chaos Rings. Like, they've come so far. Yeah, like, the style of it is really different. Like, because I, I remember, I really like the first Chaos Rings soundtrack, but, like, this, A, I think, I don't know, I don't want to say it's more energetic because there was plenty of energetic music in Chaos Rings, but this yeah. just, this almost reminds me of, like, a Wild Arms game. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. like just with like I, this, like that really loud, like it just punches you in the face right when the battle starts. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, it's it's super juicing. The thing I think really added to that is like the transitions were just so good and so like percussion driven and it just really keeps moving forward the whole time. Oh, so good. Most yeah, definitely. Good. good work getting it on here, too. I don't know that we've we, I don't think we ever played any Chaos Rings music. And I always celebrate when somebody gets a new game on the on the show. Yeah. This is the second song I've heard from three so far, and I'm really impressed by it. Oh, you I, need to listen to so much more. I know. Well, they released one <laughs> on. Um, there's like a Square Enix like sampler from Tokyo Game Show, yeah. and there's a there's a couple Chaos Rings tracks, and one of them's from three. And I was like, where did this come from? I mean, like I know that uh, music usually finds its way on YouTube, but so when you get a chance, take a listen to it. It's really amazing, especially one track. There's one track I forget what it is, but it, I believe it may be a boss battle, but it has like whistling and that uh, guitar playing and it was like yeah this definitely is a callback to wild arms or oh, yeah. that kind of spaghetti western feel that sounds really cool speaking of really cool amazing segue terror <laughs> battle i you know we we've played uh, i played a track from terror battle already on the show and uh it's the uh the metal the metal zone battle theme if you're from david you're familiar with that but uh oh yeah you know uh, I talked about this with Jason, which is the segment that's immediately going to precede this one. But I'm just sort of impressed these days that like mobile games now, like the score that they have in them, like the budgets are higher. Like it does not feel like this is sort of phoned in. And especially in I found in like a, like Japanese games, I feel like they're taking the soundtrack components of these mobile games a lot more seriously. 
because you're getting, you know, full soundtrack releases very frequently with like, I feel like every other soundtrack for a mobile RPG now is Nobu Uematsu. Like he's just yeah. over there, like pumping out like discs and discs of music that are all in mobile games. And so like I, we were talking about this while we were listening, Terra Battle itself got me, like I listened to the soundtrack and ended up playing the game and I'm for better or for worse, vehemently anti-mobile games. I don't know why, but I'm almost at the end of Terra Battle and, you know, aside from the usual amount of you could finish this faster if you paid money. Uh, it's yeah. I've found it to be really good, and the music in particular, especially this song. <laughs> I think you joked about this, Davey, but like I've left the phone on this in the past just to hear this track. Yeah, or just stare at your characters for way too long, even though you've absorbed all the information already. <laughs> or just I can never remember his main name, but like the chubby old knight, like that you never. He's like this. He's like totally stacked, and then just a giant beer belly, and I'm like, this is yeah. I, I, I have not taken him out of my party, I think, for the entire game just because of that, that beer gut he has. He reminds me oh, of me. <laughs> He's really good, too. Um, no, but, yeah, as far as the game itself goes, Terra Battle is really cool. I played I played through the whole game without spending any money, and I give him $10 afterwards because I was really, you know, satisfied with it. But, um, no, it's not really intrusive with the IAPs. And uh, the, the soundtrack was definitely striking. Like as soon as I downloaded it and started it up, and they've already add, added um several new tracks. The the new tavern track. I don't know if you've checked that out yet. That was really good, kind of a acoustic guitar loungy kind of deal. Oh, I don't think I, so. It just plays in the tavern. Like, is it does it cycle with the other track or? No, it is only in the tavern, and it's like you barely ever hear it unless you like try to, because you go into the tavern, you buy dudes, and you're done, right? Yeah, then I then I immediately leave. Exactly. I'm gonna have to <laughs> yeah. listen to that as soon as I'm done. Yeah, I'll have to start up the game. We'd go to the tavern real quick, but no. Um, and I'm really excited because they got those new download starter songs coming by uh, Shimamura. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yasunori Mitsuda, and I I can't remember the the third guy, right now. You know, that's that's an interesting thing. You know, I feel like they especially maybe it's not just Miss Walker, but, um, you know, we've talked a lot so far in music of the year segments about how there's a lot more you know notice of the fact that people really do get into this music. And, you know, to some extent, it's also being commercialized a little more because they know people want to buy a soundtrack. They know, you know, Square Enix knows that they don't want to put all their Final Fantasy 14 tracks on one soundtrack because then they can release another one later, which is perfectly fine because I will go ahead and buy them. But, you know, it's it's interesting that especially in Miss Walker's case, like they've got a reward in this game if people download it where more music comes into the game. And that's yeah. really cool. It shows that, you know, there's an, an emphasis on the music that I think that I'm a huge fan of. They're doing a, a live concert as well. I don't know if you heard about that, but I'm hoping for a DVD, of course. Oh, that so. would be fantastic. Just like the, uh, also, the Linked Horizons concert. Yeah. And Kenji Ito, I'm sorry, is kind of a big deal to forget who Kenji Ito was real quick. He's the third guy they're bringing in for the new music. Oh, really? Yes. He's actually, I believe he's actually doing some new music. He did the soundtrack to uh, Devil Survivor 2 Record Breaker. And I know they were saying that they're going to be redoing some of the music for the new, uh, like the new arc that they're adding to it. I'm always yeah, a fan to see Kenji Ito around. That guy rocks. Yeah. Not all three of those people rock. And they, that's the thing about Terra Battle with their download starter is they have some huge talent um, coming up on the big downloads like um, Yoshitako Amano and... Yeah, Sonori meets it. Uh, I've never Ms. heard of these guys. Who are they? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Sakaguchi has some connections, you know. Yeah, well, I think that's really what what it, what it comes down to is that you know you're listening to Terra Battle and seeing all these names pop up, and it's like, yeah, these are all people that they worked with when they were making Final Fantasy. So there you go. Speaking of Final Fantasy, oh, segue, ruined by me <laughs> saying segue. 
Besaid Island, what a great song. Uh, that's that's always been one of my favorite tracks in the in Final Fantasy X. You know, I just remember having the demo and like playing the the sequence where you you know you see other world in the crazy cutscene, and my friend and I were like, oh my god, it's rock music in Final Fantasy. This is amazing. Even though now I sort of listen to other world and I'm like, Ugh. but Besaid Island, just the violin and the piano in that song, the new recording. I I don't know that 10 HD's new soundtrack was a success. 100%, not in the way I would say the Kingdom Hearts ones were, because I think some of the tracks sort of do sound a little not as awesome with the new way they're performed, which is, you know, mostly preference, but I this track I feel like is just amazing in the HD version. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree, because the, the original Ten soundtrack is kind of burned into my memory. It was one of the first Final Fantasy games I ever played, actually. I'm kind of the young one. And... um when in, and so when I first started playing the HD collection, it seemed like the when I heard the differences in some of the music, I wasn't really sold on it. Then I got to Besaid, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, like, they just really honed in on the good, like, the the lines in that song, I think, that I remembered the most vividly. And the, the new instrumentation just really makes it shine. Yeah, that's one of my favorite ones on the HD soundtrack. Like, there's there is a few songs, I think, just seem like they have extra instruments just for the sake of having more instruments but um this one i think is a really strong strong one yeah because you know it's it's interesting too they uh masashi hamauzu didn't do with 10 hd what uh chimamura the vgo and gakudan did with kingdom hearts which is where in kingdom hearts they didn't totally rewrite the songs they just redid the instruments in the case of kingdom hearts one they took the original tracks and just laid live instrumentation into them and then in kh2 they just did entirely new recordings with you know the same basic song but arranged slightly differently whereas in 10 hamauzu sort of remastered it where like parts of the songs are the same or you know it's it's more like a director's cut so like he's changed the song i think a little more than the kingdom hearts ones did and i think that's why i've seen a lot more like mixed opinions on the 10 hd soundtrack but again this track i feel like is just fantastic oh yeah um, yeah i agree I, I have to agree with you guys that that ost was really hit or miss but when it hits it, it hits you hard and you're like this is the version of the song i i didn't know i always wanted and that's what besaid island was for sure yeah like that's i i imagine with Hamo, in hamozu's case this is like what he wanted it to sound like originally maybe you know it's been a long time but maybe you know I, that's a wooly area to get into because then, you know, you get into George Lucas. Well, I always intended to have Jar Jar Binks in the original trilogy. He was going to be Luke's best friend. But uh, I I don't want to go down that route. No one does. The slow, yeah, that, no. that brief moment of silence was everybody shuddering. Yeah, let's let's not Cold talk sweat. about it again. Instead, <laughs> what? instead, let's talk about more music. Peter, you picked the first track in our next block. What do we got? Uh, yeah, uh, my, my first pick for this one was uh, Battle with Demons for the sequel version from Bravely Default. Excellent. And then, uh, Marcos, you picked the second track. Yeah, I actually chose uh, an arrangement by Little V's uh, uh, Watch the Battle album, uh, Iris. So is that, uh, I'm not entirely sure, is that a Pokemon album? It looked like it based on the Pokeballs. Yeah, this is a Pokemon album. Okay, and so is that, um, which game is this originally from? Um, this is from Black and White 2. This is the uh, the champion uh, battle theme. Okay, cool. And then, Davey, you picked the last track in this block. Yes, um, I did not pick a battle theme this time. I picked The Hollow City from Tales of Exilia 2, which is a really weird, 
almost kind of uneven jazzy tune that I, I feel like kind of sums up my experience with that game. That's such a great explanation for that. So coming up, we've got Battle with Demons for the sequel version, Iris and the Hollow City.
So I've already said a million zillion things about the Bravely Default soundtrack. You know, I wrote in my review, which what feels like it was two years ago, which I guess it was, that it was one of my favorite JRPG soundtracks pretty much ever. And uh, I think I used some lofty praise that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with. I said that it's maybe a contender with Chrono Cross for one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. I don't know how I feel about that kind of hyperbole, but I do think it's one of the better ones I've ever heard. I think Revo does a really great job sort of synthesizing a lot of years of JRPG audio history. I, I picked up a lot of sort of references to the styles of other notable JRPG composers. And uh, I think he did a really great job sort of synthesizing that, but also putting that Sound Horizon style into it. And this is just absolutely a great example of that. The thing that I really strikes me about that song is just the the dichotomy between the flute and the distorted guitar playing the melody. And like you have that that cool little synth counter melody playing alongside it. But like I just I just love that contrast between like new and old instruments. Yeah, you know, and the, and Revo, if you listen to some of the concerts, like the live concert shows that Revo does with Sound Horizon, they do a lot of that where you're hearing two sounds that are sort of anachronistically put together. I guess I, I don't I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it musically, but that's what it always reminds me of. Where I feel like I'm hearing like medieval Europe and then like 2015 Japan rock. Yeah, it's like neoclassical, but in a way that's not heavy metal, which it's usually you know associated with. It's a combination of uh, two tracks from Final Fantasy: The Four Heroes of Light on DS, which was kind of a like the the game that Bravely Default was kind of a spiritual successor to. Oh yeah, that's like that chippy sound in there. Yeah, and it's got the, and it's got that, and I kind of I really what I think one thing I really like about this track is how it took, um, I think it was um, Naoshi Mizuda was the original was the composer for the Four Heroes of Light soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I, I like how Revo kind of took like these two themes from a, from the previous game and like and they fit really well with the Bravely Default soundtrack. Like you could have told me this was a, an original composition for the game, and I probably would have believed you. Yeah, it absolutely. It, I was saying it is sort of a really good synthesis of, you know, like I was saying with a, a lot of older JRPG composers are sort of the greats because, you know, he talked about in the liner notes where he basically has grown up listening to, you know, classic Square Enix music like, you know, Shimamura and Motoi Sakuraba and all, you know, Uematsu. And I feel like this is a great sort of example of his ability to fuse the signature sounds of other musicians with his own style. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's also cool because... um. Because this plays in the the street pass mode when you're fighting the nemesis, uh, the nemeses. I think, if if I'm not mistaken, a lot of those bosses are actually um, storyline bosses from Four Heroes of Light. So it's kind of a cool reference to that game. Yeah, that is really cool, and I think it also supposedly has something to do with the sequel, like Kingdom Hearts style. They're like secret bosses that are going to show up that have to do with you know both games. I, I, w- I was joking when we were listening that you know. I play on hard mode in games, so, you know, I, I, I saw the Nemesis at first, and I was like, hmm, level 20, I can handle this. Dead. Speaking of dead and getting my face melted off, this track, Iris, from Little V's Wants to Battle. Marcos, could you tell me a little bit about that album? I, I, don't, I don't know much about it, I just know that that was super rocking. Or, it's described as epic rock, and I think that is a good way to assess that track. Yeah, I believe that's the best way of putting it, epic rock, very metal. So awesome. It's a bunch of arrangements. Uh, oh, well, the name of the album is uh, Wants to Battle. The arranger's Little V. So it spells out uh, on the co- album cover, Little V Wants to Battle. And it's him with this very awesome painting of him uh, with two Pokeballs doing like a rock symbol, ready to throw it out. No, but I really like all the tracks on this album, particularly Iris's uh, arrangement. It's just something that's really... Uh, the best way to put it is um, 
it's very rocking but adorable at the same time. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to describe it. That's sort of what I noticed about this is I could hear the Pokemon in this in this song. I was listening to it and I was like, I, I have never heard this song, but I know the style that they use in the Pokemon games. And I just I I can absolutely pick up on that here. It lends itself well to that this sort of like rocking style. Yeah, I mean, just thinking back uh, when I was actually playing this uh, and when I first was introduced to the uh, original track, uh, just fighting against Iris, uh, I was just taken aback that you're fighting Iris, like literally like going through like the nebula with like the spacey background. It was a little disjointed and the music was just really, uh, he did a great job complimenting it. And I really liked it in this one too, uh, where he just keeps that adorable spaciness to it, but does an awesome job with it. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, I really liked uh Oh, man, it did sound weirdly cute, even though, like, it had those awesome blast beats and those super heavy chugs. And, like, this guitar, this lead guitar is going up there doing these full bends, but it's playing this ridiculously cute Pokemon music. Like, it's I, it was not what I was expecting, and I really loved it. It's You know what it reminds me of? It sounds like something I would hear in a Smash Brothers remix of a Pokemon title. Yeah, exactly. Like, this yeah. sounds like it should be in the Pokemon Stadium level. <laughs> yeah, I can go with that. So cool. What a cool thanks for letting me know about that album. I'm gonna have to check that out. Oh yeah, if you haven't listened to the whole thing, I I, uh, I found it on Bandcamp and I like I didn't have a chance to listen to the track in advance because I sort of derped and didn't couldn't figure out what it was, even though Marcos very helpfully gave links to all of the music. But uh it's definitely worth checking out. Uh shout out to the uh the person that you reigned it. His name is uh James Mills. Uh okay. he does have a SoundCloud rather. Uh, at soundcloud.com slash littlebmills. Excellent. Go patronize that art. Speaking of patronizing art, well, it's not patronizing art. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're going to be nice a patron try. of the arts. We're not going to patronize Tales of Exilia 2. That song, I don't want to say it was a mess because that would suggest that it wasn't sort of controlled chaos, but it was wacky. Yeah, definitely. It's got this kind of jam band kind of vibe to it, and it's like, like I was saying during recording, this you have this bass that's just walking along, like a pretty standard jazz bass, walking through just this collage of almost, like, I want to call it chaos, but it's like this percussion ses- section is so unique and it's like so almost off rhythm that you just kind of have to surrender yourself to it and get into the flow. What what stuns me most about it is that it's, the, you said it's the first town song? Yeah, Duval. So this is not what I would expect from the first town in an RPG, especially a Tales game, which are sort of, rightly or wrongly, they're sort of pinned a lot of times for being formulaic. But, like, this is not what I would think out of a first town. Because, I mean, even in Tales of Exilia 1, like, the first town is this sort of, you know, I can't remember the name, but it's like the very the starlit, you know, sort oh, of... Fendal. Not, yeah, exactly. Sort of quasi-steampunk, not quite academic mm-hmm. town with starlight. Like, it sounds like something I'd hear in, like, a jazz club while I'm sipping on scotch. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And Zillia 2 is kind of weird like that, too. It's not really it doesn't feel like any other Tales game. Exactly. It's got this really weird, uneven gate to it. You go and you you fight monsters to pay your debt and you do the next story mission. And then it's just question marks until you make enough money again. And it's like you're just always kind of just almost drunkenly wandering through the game. And that's kind of what the song is to me. It's just <laughs> drunkenly wandering through some jazz music. <laughs> drunkenly wandering. That's probably uh, so. We've had a lot of people talk about that uh, Tales of Exilia two so far on the Music of the Year show. We've had people that like it. We've had people that don't like it. Caitlin likes it. You like it. We've had uh, Derek does not like it. He pointed that out. Uh, but it, it's just funny because that, from what I know, of the style of the game, like you said, you, you you have a debt. So in order to progress the story, you sort of have to go do side content to gain enough money to make mm-hmm. progress. So it is. It does sort of. I don't know. I imagine Luger like running around with that little girl, just like. 
in this town, sort of like, I'm not as dead as you drunk I think I am. <laughs> that well, would have been a better game. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of what people think about the story, I have heard it's at least fun. Because he uses, what, like three weapons and stuff and has like a bunch yeah. of change-ups. It kind of reminds me of like um, PSU or um, PSO2 in that way. Like you got the hot keyed weapons and you just kind of switch through between combos or like Devil May Cry Light kind of Oh, thing. that's cool. Yeah. And you can like switch mid combo and do cool stuff. So no, the combat was really fun. And I played the whole thing co-op, which makes it infinitely more fun than it would be solo. But Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Tales, Tales games in general, I am amazed they don't have like a local co-op or like a oh, an online, online co-op option oh yet. Oh my god. Because I always have friends or my brother that want to, like I grew up playing Symphonia with my little brother and then I played Abyss with my friend and then, you know, my two brothers and I, we played Symphonia again. So it's like the fact that I can't do that online blows my mind because I feel like a lot of people play Tales games with co-op in mind because then mm-hmm. the silly skits, you know, they might be silly, but at least you can get a laugh at a dumb joke with somebody else. I think you add people to the experience and it just becomes more enjoyable, especially the combat. Well, how cool would it be if they just had like online raids and you can be like, okay, me and my three three friends, we all have different tales of gameplay styles and we're going to get together and fight this like super awesome post-game boss together online. Like that would be so cool. Yeah, it really would. Because, you know, especially in a Tales game too, you know, like like a secret boss like Nebulim and Abyss, you know, you're constantly having to like manage each character if you're not playing multiplayer. Like, imagine doing that online and not having to worry about managing every character. Each person's taking care of one, and then, like, your strategy can come from that. It'd be really cool. Right. And then you get to yell at Jill Blow when he drops his combo. It's like, what are you doing? Oh, I do that all the time anyway. Like, it was basically a verbal abuse session when I played Abyss with my best friend. Like, we would just yell at each other the whole time. Like, oh, you died again. Good job. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll kill every enemy for you. You can just stand in the back and get hit. Good friends. So evil, Steven. I, I didn't start it. Although Luke is better than Guy. Mm. All right, moving on before anyone disagrees with me. Davey, you picked the first track in Block 3. What do we got? I believe it was Laser Beam as the next track. Laser Beam from Persona Q. Persona Q is a perennial favorite this year, I think. We've seen some of it before, and I'm pretty sure we're going to continue to see more of it. It's What a great soundtrack. Talk about it more after. And then, uh, Marcos, you picked the second track? Yeah, I chose Boss Battle from uh, the Steam slash 3DS version of Grinzia. Which we've actually featured Grinzia. I actually played Boss Battle earlier this year, but I, I liked it so much I wanted to have us play it again. Uh, because this is Shannon Mason's work on that is great, because it's different than the original release of the game, and it's really cool, like SNES throwback music. And then, Peter, you had the last track. Uh, yeah, I'm actually giving us another Pokemon track. This is Battle versus Deoxys from the recent from Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire for the 3DS. Excellent. Let's go ahead and get some more Pokemon on. We got Laser Beam, Boss Battle, and Battle vs. Deoxys. I'm living in 
so we, you know, I've ta- I've talked to death about how much I like Persona Q's soundtrack. So I'm going to sort of pass it off to you, uh, Davey, because you know I've said many things over the course of Music of the Year about how wonderful it is. Dirty, grungy, really cool Persona style music. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I said I said this in my, my review, but I was just so impressed that it really just sounds like Persona music. Like it's not the same composer, but it it it's this like real sequel on this music that we haven't had for like since 2008. And like I've been waiting this whole time for like a sequel to Deep Breath because Persona 4 didn't really have one of those just really deep bit crushed club techno songs that Lotus just raps over and just gets me so excited. But all of those adjectives you used are one of the reasons you are hired here. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're bringing musical class. You, you gentlemen are bringing musical class to the podcast that I can't do myself. But no, yeah, like it's. It is in the style of Persona. It sounds like it fits aesthetically to Persona, but it's not the songs we've heard arranged and arranged and arranged. And again, not to say that I don't love all those arrangements and love the original material, but the strength of the original material is what inherently makes me want more of it. Yeah, it makes me feel like Persona has been born into an artist in and of its own. Like it's bigger than Maguro now. It's like Persona music is this thing and Maguro is this guy that sometimes does Persona music now. Which is good, too, because, you know, he can't do it forever and you don't want to like I, I applaud Atlas for not continually using the same composer because like Meguro did uh, did Devil Survivor 1, but Kenji Ito did Devil Survivor 2. And while I still prefer Meguro's stuff in one, I think it's a really good call on their part to change things up artistically a lot. Um, you know, yeah. like I, I don't I don't especially care for Masayuki Doi's uh, artwork in, in Shin Megami Tensei 4. But again, at least it's fresh and new. Not that Sojima shouldn't be doing Persona and can't do fresh designs but you know there's nothing wrong with taking that sort of artistic risk and especially if they're capturing the style but creating something that feels fresh at the same time which is absolutely persona q in my yeah. opinion yeah for sure and they've they've let my girl run a little wild i mean strange journey and Catherine were just like way out of left field musically yeah well he's actually so now he's basically a director at atlas like i think he's pretty much one of the people who helps like not just like direct the audio of the of the Persona games, I think he's like basically directing the games too. One of the god kings of Atlas. Yeah, one of the, yeah, he's the guy. One of the guys at Atlas, the dudes, or we will be. He's one of the people at Atlas. I I I've, one of my bucket list things is to go to one of those live at the Velvet Room concerts. They call it something different different every year, and you know they had one this year that I would have gone to had I gone to Japan this year. But whenever I finally get there, I must see them perform live because the DVDs of those concerts are fantastic, and I'm. The reason I'm excited to sort of have maybe the chance to go next year is that I'm sure they'll play Persona Q music now, mm-hmm. and I would love to hear them perform this live. Like the rap sections of uh, "Light the Fire Up in the Night" or "Laser Beam" just would sound fantastic live. I think I think they're really improved over the Persona Three rap sections. I don't know what it is if it's the production is slightly different or what, but he sounds so much cooler than he did in Persona Three. I don't know if that's just me, but. I mean, I I liked it. It was sort of a cute, silly sound in Persona 3 that ended up sounding sort of badass. Whereas Mm -hmm. here, I think this just sounds like sort of cool, stylish rapping almost. It is a little more serious, yeah. That's a good way to put it because, you know, Mass Destruction was supposed to sort – I can't remember who said it. Derek pointed it out once and it may just be internet myth. But somebody said that the reason all the raps in Persona uh, 3 and 4 sound sort of muffled are because they're supposed to sound like they're in your subconscious, like they're not any specific words. They're just Mm -hmm. there. And if so, that's a cool way to explain it. You know, your persona's coming out of your subconscious, whatever. But I do sort of like the laser beam 
style here where you can hear him because he's a he's a good rapper so it's 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 good that they're mm-hmm. taking advantage of the these musical voices they have yeah those those house beats though i'm a I'm a mm. sucker for that, man. And just having house beats during a boss battle, I always find myself, like, pushing the buttons along with the beat and stuff. Oh, I am notorious for doing that with Persona. I, I, I actually think I broke the R-trigger on my 3DS playing Persona Q because of Light the Fire Up on the Night. Because I'd be like, tap, 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 And now your button's broke, man. <laughs> Speaking of awesome music, Super Nintendo Redux, Grinzia. Man, that sound font is just... I, I said this when we played this track in the past, but I really feel like... If you told if this song was in a game from 1996, I think nobody would bet an eyelash. Oh, Steven, I, I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, the soundtrack is just crazy hot. Love everything about it. I played the original, and uh, I really did enjoy the soundtrack here and there. When I finally took a chance to listen to this recomposition, I was just like, oh. So the, the music is totally different in the 3DS Steam version, right? It's not it's not the same song rearranged. It's literally a totally different song. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, this just, it feels like it fits into that Super Nintendo canon. It has, you know, Davey, I'm going to steal your comment. Ha ha ha. It really sounds like it could have been in Chrono Trigger. Like, I feel like this is a lost battle theme from Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Like, it just has that sort of percussive element to it. Those horns are, like, spot on some Chrono Trigger horns. Yeah. And (laughs) I I can definitely say this with authority because I watched a bunch of Chrono Trigger videos earlier today because reasons. And, (laughs) man, it fits in well. Yeah, I'm just really impressed with that. I mean, I I like just uh, the way it's composed. And I especially like at the very end of that loop, it has that like bullfight kind of sound. Yes. We need to convince Shannon Mason to come on the show so we can talk to her about how awesome her music is. Yes. Uh, it is yeah, awesome. I concur. It amazes me. It's kind of like the Persona Q thing where it's not Maguro, but it's still Persona. It's like this isn't from the mid 90s, but it really just fits into this genre that we've made over time, you know? Yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of throwback music that sort of uses the sound fonts of the 90s, but doesn't quite capture that same, you know, there's that emphasis on melody. Like, you know, a great example is Black Sigil, uh, that sort of weird 3DS or DS RPG that was like half broken, but it was sort of meant to be a, a spiritual love letter to Chrono Trigger. And the music was, I think it was Jan Morgenstern that did it. But, uh, you know, it's it's good music, but and it uses the same sort of sound that Chrono Trigger does, but it doesn't use it in the ways that we used it in the 90s, where it's very melody heavy. You know, it's it, you have to have that that melody that grabs you. It's mm-hmm. you, it's sort of a little more Western in that it's a little more ambiance almost. But with those instruments, it's sort of like if you compare the Secret of Evermore soundtrack that Jeremy Soule did to like Secret of Mana. Secret of Evermore is very like, I would say, a little more atmospheric. With the Super Nintendo yeah. type of sound, whereas this fits the Grinzia track fits a little more melodically in with you know the the more traditional like uh, Japanese artist done uh, mm-hmm. soundtracks from the nineties. Yeah, you nailed it. Speaking of nailing it, <laughs> Battle versus Deoxys is Deoxys like uh, I, I recall you know we were recording and I mentioned that I didn't I've only played Red, so I'm not familiar with like fighting Poke Jesus or whatever, or the, <laughs> the, the the Lord of all Pokemon. Is Deoxys um, one of like the legendary Pokemon? Oh the, no, that 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 would be Arceus. Deoxys is a space alien. Even better. Yeah, so Deoxys' thing is that, like, he's the DNA Pokemon, so he can change his form to, like, in in battle. So he has, like, a speed form, a defense form, an attack form, and a very kind of a... And it's cool how they set it up in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, because so after you beat the main, the main campaign and you have all the gym badges, you get this really dramatic, like, to-be-continued at the end of the credits. And then it, it goes on to this whole, like, post-game story about there's a new character who gets introduced, all this new legendary. It's about, like an, like, an asteroid is coming towards 
the region there's like impending death and then yeah it turns out deoxys is in the asteroid and you have to go capture him okay so i was gonna ask if you can capture him so you can capture deoxys that's fascinating yeah, and we we were joking when we were listening to the when we were when we were listening about like yeah in Pokemon like have you ever ridden on a dragon, flew him through an asteroid, and then battled a space alien? And yes, that happens in in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Yeah, in Red, I rode my bike around and beat up my childhood friend. <laughs> exactly, your childhood <laughs> rival. He's your he, rival now. Gary loves Ash. Let's your be your rival in uh, the Hoenn games is like your best friend. But. To talk about the song here, not to get us way off topic, this has a weird spacey sound to it that I really like. Like it's, it's almost disorientating. Like I, like it's it's just I I don't know how to describe the sound, but just that background sort of beeping sounds like something I would imagine out of like a nineteen eighties like like Tron. Yeah, it's got a Tron vibe. Where I was thinking of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good way to put it. But, but like, it all it also has that that sort of like peppy Pokemon sound to it too that I think a lot of their battle themes do really well. That like Pokemon does not have like downer battle themes, at least as far as I've heard. They're, they're all very energetic and I think this sort of has that style of displacement for you but also has that, that sort of energetic like, you know, here we are battling type thing. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a combination of, well, yeah, this is like the showdown to save the world, but at the same time, look, here's this cool new Pokemon you can catch and add <laughs> to your party. Yeah, I'm going to capture this thing that is destroying the Earth and use it to fight Pidgeot. And I'm, I'm going to do it with a Pikachu that's wearing a Lucha Libre outfit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a there's a part in the middle of the song, too, around like one, maybe like 113, 117, that reminds me of the World Revolution from Chrono Trigger 2. Yeah, it's kind of got that vibe, doesn't it? Like, that kind of otherworldly, yet like... If I knew I the name of the instrument, I would I would say. But yeah, it definitely has that. Great pick. I, I always have to... I feel bad, because I feel like we should represent Pokemon more on the show. Because, but having only played Red, I'm like, yeah, I can play do 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 That's like the only one I remember especially well, and the battle theme, of course. But like, I was going to say, Stephen, if if X and Y had come out this year, then I probably would have picked the Mewtwo battle theme because that's actually a remix of the original Red and Blue battle theme. It has the original chip tune sound in the background. It's really cool. I'm gonna have to go listen to that. I bet Bridget would like that too. Bridget recently reviewed the Alpha Omega or the Alpha Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. I got it soundtrack and sort of lamented that we it got rid of that sort of like fusion chiptune old school sound with like newer style and that it was mostly just orchestral sounds like she'd probably dig that too if it has that sort of fusion of the two i like that yeah i bet she would well we are here at the last block gentlemen and i am so very excited about peter's pick i was gonna i would have picked it myself but this is why i go last so you can pick all the ones i want and then i can have selection to pick even more peter what is your last track for the day uh my last track for the day is dismiss from Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. <laughs> so in 2.5, they rearranged only two tracks from Birth by Sleep. Uh, that's a few fewer than they did from Chain of Memories in Kingdom Hearts 1.5, where they didn't rearrange the whole soundtrack, just sort of the final boss themes. But what I re- I'll talk about this after too, but Dismiss is the final, final epilogue boss theme in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. And and not not to get ahead of you not to get ahead of ourselves, but I, I just played that part for the first time the other day and it's so cool. Oh right, it is. It, especially after the end of Terra's storyline. Mm. Yeah. We're gonna talk about that after. But I don't wanna hold this up too long. Marcos, you picked the second track. Yes I did. I actually uh, chose Cross Counter from the unreleased two D action RPG game Cross Code. The soundtrack has rather the game itself hasn't come out. It's uh, actually gonna be seeking funding soon, but a demo of the game has been made. And so far, the music released for it, stellar. Excellent. I'm very interested to talk about that because I don't know anything about this project. 
And then Davey, final track of the day. What are you bringing us? Not a I fiesta. Ouroboros Festival. Fiesta. <laughs> From Final Fantasy Lightning Returns 13 times. 13 times X5 to closing us out for the day. We've got Dismiss, Cross Counter, and Ouroboros Festival.
So I wrote a gajillion words about Kingdom Hearts 1.5 and 2.5, 2.5 in particular. Uh, you know, I, I I love it. It's it's amazing. I I love the VGO forever now because they did so well by they did justice to one of my favorite scores ever. And Dismiss is narratively and thematically just an incredibly appropriate song for the cap of Birth by Sleep. And you know. I, I don't want to overtalk it because this is Peter's track, but uh, basically what I wrote in the review is that it just – I didn't write this in the – I wrote this in my original review for RPG Fan, the first thing I ever wrote for the site, that you can basically hear the story of Birth by Sleep in this song. I agree. I um, I played Birth by Sleep on PSP and didn't unlock final episode. Um, I did, so I, I didn't get to um, experience this firsthand until uh, the, the HD remix, but I listened to the, the, the song over and over again before that and i think this is it's like almost the it's the perfect conclusion to birth by sleep and it's also the perfect setup for future events in kingdom hearts absolutely you know it it, it sort of combines it's got like the uh, the main sort of melody of gardendo nel bureau you have fate of the unknown in there you have a little bit of terra's theme you have um just so many themes in there that are important to not only birth by sleep but the series later and the character that is the final boss that you just it's 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 perfect basically it's the ultimate cap for the game you know there's an additional epilogue sequence in 2.5 or in uh, final mix birth by sleep where you know you sort of play as aqua and you know you fight the first heartless or whatever and that one's really cool it has cool music but it's not narratively as important as this song is and i just mega heart it yeah, and if it's it's possible to make a song more perfect, then I think they managed it with this reinstrumentation. Because just hearing it with live instruments and that that vi- like right before it loops, that like one violin solo that kind of kicks in, I I love that. Yeah, like, yeah, that's actually that's the violin solo from Kingdom Hearts Two, the secret video, Fate of the Unknown, which sort of becomes the uh, de facto theme for Birth by Sleep, and that's why it's so good to have it there. Yeah. I, I think the only final boss theme in the series that I like more than this is the one that immediately precedes it, which is uh, Darkness of the Unknown in Kingdom Hearts 2, because it's just, I wonder if that song will appear on my Music of the Year picks. I, I'm not surprised to hear that Darkness of the Unknown is amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the new recording of it. I don't, I don't want to steal any any of the thunder of Dismiss here, though. We'll talk about that when I, when I inevitably play it. But also, not regarding this, but... So, Marcus, can you talk a little bit more about CrossCode? Just sort of, you know, you sent me some screenshots of it, but for, like, listeners who aren't aware of it, because that's a really cool song. I don't want to steal the way you all have described it. I'll let you do that, because it's it's clever. But a very cool song. Yeah, no, um, when I first heard this song, it was from the trailer, so, and that, that reeled me in. And I said, I got to give this game a try. It has, it's still in the building phase, available demo to play on the website. And just hearing the song, like, in its context, like, uh, when it shows up, it kind of had like a table's turn kind of feel during a certain situation uh, in the demo. I was like, taking it back, I was like, oh, it gave me chills. I didn't have a very good definition. I called it very, I think I just had very cool. There's nothing wrong with saying very cool. That is, I made a podcast based on saying this is very cool. So nothing wrong with saying that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, uh, a little bit more about it. Uh, retro-inspired 2D action uh, RPG. Um, just reading the description right here. set in the distant future. And it's being made by Radical Fish Games. And I, the composer of this song is, Handel is in tarot, but uh, his name is, forgive me, I'm German, I suppose, but uh, Dennis uh, Akbalut. Close I'm enough. Not, I'm, yeah, I know nothing of German. Give me Italian, I'll do a little bit better. But yeah, no, uh, when I first heard this on the SoundCloud, the uh, soundtrack to the demo, ah, just so delicious. 
I just ate it all up. I love that. Ex- I love that description of the song, Marcos. You win the evening. I am. Um, it's delicious. I thought it tasted pretty good. It's too late. He already oh. said it. <laughs> no, yeah, it was a, it was a really cool track. I kind of like the way the the synths. There's like two different synths that trade back and forth on the lead. They kind of give it some versatility, and uh, it was really chill. It felt really good. It, like I said during the recording, it it felt like like a Mega Man X Town theme. It really does. Like, you know, I feel like this is would have been better than what was in Mega Man X Command Mission. Yeah. And then for our final track, which I have repeatedly called Ouroboros Fiesta for some reason. Uh, <laughs> it's actually Ouroboros Festival. I keep wanting to say Fiestable, but that's a new word that we're going to coin on the show. It's just like Doomful from early episodes with Kyle. We've coined Doomful and Fiestable. But the comment I wrote is sort of flat and boring. It's I said this is legitimately interesting music. And I don't mean interesting from the perspective of like, oh, this doesn't sound very good, but it's interesting. And that this is just sort of a really original sound. That's one of the strengths of Lightning Returns. You know, uh, that soundtrack sort of gets unfairly panned for being too much ambiance. And that's absolutely not true. Go listen to Dead Dunes. Go listen to Yusnan. Go listen to basically any of the battle themes. But there is some really great music in Lightning Returns. And this one in particular, you know, it's just it's styles and sounds that you don't hear in JRPGs very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really the transitions like in the song almost feel like it takes it into a whole new song, but it still feels like really natural layering of harmonies and different instruments and effects. I really liked Lightning Returns is one of my music of the year OSTs. I think it may and actually make my list. It's just so cool. Like you said, stuff you wouldn't expect out of a JRPG. And when stuff like Katamari and Persona came around in um, video game music, I was like, are big flagship IPs really going to take advantage of this direction that video game music is going? This like we can do anything now. Anything like, we want. You know, we have that opportunity. Yep. And I was so worried that they would just kind of turn into this overly bombastic orchestral thing year after year. But I was really, really pleased when FF13 kind of took it in a new direction. Yeah, you um, know, major kudos to Square for that, too, because not that I don't love Shimamura and the tracks that they've released from 15, but I feel like because 13.2 and Lightning Returns are, like, cheaper for them to produce, they're not as afraid of taking an, a musical risk. But, like, look at all the big risks Square takes, like, near musically or, you know... Lightning Returns, you get some of the, their most interesting music. Yeah, the, so the thing about Ouroboros Festival, I just didn't even think about it. I just there you go. It. <laughs> it's, um, my favorite thing about it is it reminds me of the arranged album of Mr. Rob Steinman's favorite game, Near Death Experience from Shadow Hearts. It's got just that really aboriginal like African percussion that just like leads into this crazy, weird, anachronistic, like almost house techno part, and it's like it's just it's a little bit ambient, but it's got this driving melody throughout the thing. And it's like this dancey guitar picks in and it trades off to a dancey synth and then it brings them together. And it's just all this like old school techno philosophy of just like layering instruments on top of each other and making new melodies with the way they interact with each other. Yeah, you know, I, great. First of all, if you weren't already 100 percent hired, you're 200 percent hired now for mentioning near death experience, because I feel like I'm the only person ever who loves that. But, it's so good. You know, it's it's so good. And I agree that in this case that the like the best way for me to describe it is I love the sort of percu- the really light percussion at the beginning of this song. I don't know if you call it bongos or what, but it, whatever it is, it sounds great. But as they you're right, like you articulated better than I would. So I'm not going to try to. But Lightning Returns just does a great job of taking all of these different seemingly disparate sounds and patching them together in a way that is cohesive and great to listen to. Yeah, very unique. 
Like it's it is. It's like weird and sort of otherworldly. Like otherworldly is you know probably something I would level at thirteen two as well. The thirteen two soundtrack, but mm-hmm. this really does sound sort of like ethereal. Yeah, I kind of when when like lightning goes up and like because she's supposed to be like a god at this point, you know, and like all the experiences you're having are really kind of weird and ethereal. Yeah. As a as a sort of last note about this track, it also really reminds me of the Japanese and European soundtrack to Sonic CD. Uh, what? It really reminds me of the sort of – it's a totally different vibe from the American Sonic CD soundtrack. But this here really wouldn't – like especially the sort of background. I think it's a like a synth piano, but it really reminds me of some of the stages in Sonic CD in Japan. That's pretty cool. I'll have to listen to that. Oh, if you've never heard the Japanese Sonic CD soundtrack, go and prepare to be blown away. I didn't I didn't even know it was a thing. Yep. <laughs> and on that note, listen to the American soundtrack and listen to the Sonic Rush soundtrack because they're all amazing. Oh, now you're asking too much. You see, you say that. <laughs> okay. You'll come around. I'll see what happens. I'll, yeah. t- I'll tell you what happens. Yes. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for tonight. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show. Peter, Marcos, Davey, Mike, co-co-host, as always. You know, Music of the Year is progressing quite smoothly, and I'm really happy that we have so many people coming and joining us. You guys brought a re- lot of really cool variety to this. You know, we got the the perennial hits. We got our Bravely Default and Persona in there, of course. But we got a lot of lesser-known stuff in here, so well-selected. Lesser-known, or at least in the case of CrossCode, not known to me at all. So outstanding work, gentlemen. Thank you. Awesome. Good, sir. Yeah, it was hey. a pleasure. So hey. That wraps us up for this segment. For Marcos, Peter, Davey, and Mike, thanks everyone for listening and continue listening because we still have more and more and more coming. And it only gets better, probably. It probably gets festival. <laughs> I still can't believe it just came out like that.
right, everyone, and we're back. Music of the Year 2014 continues. We have a super amazing special guest. But before that super amazing special guest, my co-co-host. Mike. Mike on the boards. Mike, your whole title. And a special guest. Not a super special guest because we already had him on once, but he's still special. We have different tiers of special. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm tiering everybody here. Uh, I'm still Derek Hinsbergen, still Emory on the boards. And you guys love him. And our super amazing, awesome special guest, we have Kim Wallace of Game Informer. Hello. Kim, thank you so much for joining us for Music of the Year. You love Kingdom Hearts, and so that makes us friends. Yes, yes, we bond over that. We do. And so, just so you're familiar with what we're doing here, we're basically, you picked out some of your favorite tracks from 2014, and uh, we're going to go through, listen to them, chat about them, and have a little fun. Yeah, let's do it. So you picked the 13th Reflection from Kingdom Hearts 2.5, and then following that, you picked the main theme from Dragon Age Inquisition. So let's go ahead and take a listen to the 13th Reflection and the main theme from Dragon Age Inquisition.
Tracks like that Kingdom Hearts track are why I'm so amped for Yokoshima Mura to do the music for FF15. I mean, not just because, it, I don't know. She She's proven herself to be an amazing composer from Legend of Mana to Kingdom Hearts and everything in between. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to her compositions in 15. And we played already uh, one of the tracks from 15. So, I mean, we're getting a good dose of that Yokoshima Mura love on the podcast here, but... Steven, where does that track actually play in the game? Do you know the 13th Reflection? So the 13th Reflection plays whenever you're fighting the organization members that were added to Final Mix. So like all, all the ones that got killed in Chain of Memories. Okay, that explains why I don't recognize it. <laughs> yeah. That's actually why I picked it, because I was like, this is kind of specific to 2.5, and I I love it because it just brings the energy moment yeah yeah absolutely it's it's really cool like thematically too that track actually works in some of the piano uh, like phrases i guess my wonderful musical terminology uh from the organization uh in chain of memories so it sort of thematically ties into the other organization battle themes too because they all have you know bits and pieces of that organization theme song that's so prevalent throughout the game but that one in particular i, I really like that it's sort of that they went through and actually made a different song for the members who were not originally engaged to is really cool, I thought. Yeah, yeah like that. sure. Yeah, and that one's actually a re-recording of the original, because in Final Mix in Japan, you know, they redid all the music in the new version, and so the video game orchestra sort of went through that and actually performed it with real instruments and rearranged it. So that piano in there is really great, because it's, it's way more pronounced than it mm-hmm. used to be. So good. That's like, I really love that Square Enix does that with with their HD releases that they don't just go through and touch up the graphics, you know, for a giant music geek like me, it's always really exciting to have the new tracks. Yeah. in there I mean, the music is an integral part of the experience, I think. So for them to refresh that alongside the graphics shows their commitment to doing a good job. I like that too, because I don't know, so many people like outcry about it though. They're like, Oh, they're going to mess with my tracks. Da, da, da. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to have something new to look forward to. I mean, some are better than others that are done but i i enjoy it a little um, bit i think the best option is if if they include things like a toggle so that you can choose which track you mm-hmm. do a lot of the falcom games do that where you can pick like i actually just started playing brandish the dark revenant and from the very beginning uh, on the title screen you can choose do you want the arranged orchestra orchestrated version or do you want like the pc88 old school so it's i think it's cool when games do that but um even so i guess it's like you still have access to the old game and the old soundtrack so why knock the new one unless it's really bad? I mean, right. yeah, I, I just love that we live in an age where you know developers actually recognize the value of their music in the game because not that they never did, but you know now it's like so many games get like soundtrack releases, I think it's, as pre-order bonuses. It's and... more celebrated, I think now. It's it's more recognized in general. Yeah, I agree. And then the second track we listened to, the Dragon Age main theme. Um, Rob actually picked this one too. And oh, I, I picked the same thing as Rob. But. Oh. I, want, I wanted to have it on here because I, I know you like Dragon Age, and I wanted to talk about Dragon wait, wait. Age. So are you upset because you picked the same thing as Rob, or just because <laughs> I'm upset because I picked the same thing as Rob. Uh, or, or Rob. Um, he'll love to hear that. I, I, miss, I thought you were upset that you picked the same thing as somebody else, but that rephrase makes it so much Rob. more delicious. Yep. <laughs> well, here's, nope. I'm going to say something a little negative here. I was kind of disappointed in the Dragon Age Inquisition soundtrack a bit. But this song right here is just absolutely fantastic, and it just gives me chills when I listen to it and sets up that adventure so well. I love the violin that goes through it. Jeez, it's it's just such a pretty melody. So, but outside of this song, I didn't have the music didn't make a big bang for me with the game. Um, 
But I do think this track is one of the strongest. And I wanted to get something on there because I think Dragon Age Inquisition is a great game. It actually ended up being my personal game of the year. As long, Well, it was also Game Informers, but I put it on my top 10 list as number one as well. So I kind of wanted to give it a shout out for that. Yeah, most definitely. I, I was talking to Derek and Mike about this before we recorded too a little bit. Like, I really do like that song too. And it's I, I sort of had the same issue with you where when I played Dragon Age Inquisition – I like I'm like, OK, I like this music, but I don't really remember any of it. The, the only tracks I really remember in the game are the ones that worked in bits of this main theme, because it's sort of like Skyrim syndrome, where that main theme is so evocative and memorable that everything else sort of just sounds like filler noise. Yeah, you're right. I think that's what you hit the nail on the head of what it is. is like it just nothing kind of matches up to the to this track and the intensity. So, yeah, like every time I hear this, I just think of that really cool intro screen when they're all walking towards the the meetup, all the mages and Templars, and then the screen blows up. That was, I, you know, I didn't realize like until way after I finished that game, I was like, oh, the intro is showing you what happens before the yeah. game starts. That's a really weird way that they actually did that. I think they're trying to cut time because I think they wanted to get you into the action as soon as possible, especially since they realized not everybody would have played the other games. But it actually took away, I think, a bit from not having that kind of on screen and on the title screen. Like people were like, oh, wait, something's going on here. Because how many times in a game do we have to watch the title screen <laughs> yeah. to know really what's going on? I mean, there's usually like little intro movies, whatever, but nothing that is like substantial to the plot like that is. Yeah, like I think it, it like disarms people. Because like, again, like you're exactly right. Like when I, I, you know, when I first demoed it and then when I first played it, I didn't even realize it was anything relevant. I was like, oh, something blew up. Okay. Like, I sort of didn't even <laughs> register because I'm like, yeah, the game's about to start. I'll pay attention in a few seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Same here, actually. Yeah. But yeah, definitely a cool song and definitely really well. I, I like the way they worked it throughout the game's soundtrack. But I think also, you know, it's so distinctive that that's to the detriment of the rest of the music. <laughs> so for the second block of tracks you picked, Kim, these are both songs that I haven't heard that I feel sort of sh- ashamed that I haven't. One of which is... Clementine's theme from The Walking Dead Season 2. And then the second track is Miss Monomi's Practice Lesson from Danganronpa 2, which I'm finally working on the first one. Yeah, more Danganronpa. I picked two of those too, Kim. Yeah, no, that uh, track uh, for Danganronpa kind of made for me what that game was about. I just liked how wacky it was, so uh, that was why I picked it, because it's out there, but that game is so out there, so it fits it well. As with uh, the Clementine track, just really complimented the character and her trials during that second season. I kind of liked every time I heard that track come on, knowing that it was like a growing moment for her. So I have fond memories of that one too. Good. They do such a good job with that too. But before we talk anymore, let's go ahead and take a listen to Clementine's theme and Miss Minomi's practice lesson.
me and Derek are making inappropriate noises to um, try and emulate that track, which we're obviously <laughs> You're like, wait, what's that? I'm actually really proud of both of you. <laughs> it's wonderful. You, you know, I, I feel sort of like a jerk for having not played The Walking Dead Season 2. Like, I... I've, I played the first one and I'm a weird perfectionist. So like I made one mistake and I tried to replay the whole game, but then it was like, you know, you have to replay the whole chapter. So I got angry at it and blamed the game for my own mistakes. And so I just haven't gone back to play it. Oh, but this song is so good. Of, a lot of people didn't get to season two, which is a shame because in my opinion, like season two can't match that finale of season one by any stretch. But season two for me was a lot had a lot more momentum going through it which I appreciated and I felt like a lot more happened throughout it so I feel like you're missing like and it totally uh, solidified why Clementine is still so awesome despite like she could have just been like that you know that character in season one who you just were attached to but they really made her kind of come into her own come of age and that's really interesting to see throughout a video game so whenever i hear like i said clementine's theme had to be on there for me there is no and it's or buts so it's interesting because i'm listening to this too and i don't know it's probably not intentional but mm -hmm. i'm really getting last of us vibes from the track in terms mm -hmm. of you know the choice of instrumentation obviously it's not the exact same instruments um but I think the instrument they used in Last of Us was called like the Ron Coco or something, uh, which I could not even begin to tell you what that is. But, <laughs> you know, this has that sort of same somber, but like weighty style to it that I really like. Um, makes you me want to play the game. What it reminds me of is uh, Silent Hill. Like it, it gives me a, a, a Silent Hill vibe. It's kind of like meditative candlelight music that you would listen to if you wanted to be creeped out and introspective at the same time. Yeah, that's really good actually too. Like it's, I always say I can be bought by music, you know, I'll like I'm not going to play that game. And then I hear music that I like and then I go play the entire game just to hear that music. Yeah. But that works out really well. That works out in my favor pretty often. Like I'm playing 10-2 now because I like the final boss song and I've never played 10-2 before. And I'm sort of I'm finding it sort of adorable. <laughs> it's such a strange game, but I think that it's I think if you look at it as just a, a weird campy side thing, then it's a lot of fun. Yeah, look at it like a girl's night out. Let's just have fun and have it for what it is with a cool battle system. You cannot take that story too seriously. Yeah. And that's what I like about it. After, like, Final Fantasy X was so heavy. To go to something like Ten Two and see, like, a character like Yuna saying, like, disasterific and stuff. That's that, we that kind of made it for me. Like, I like the Charlie's Angels theme going on with it. I like that whole vibe. Like, it was just a fun girls' night out, and that's what I like about it. Yeah, like, you know, it's it's sort of derpy in a really good-natured way. And, I yeah. like, that's why, like, exactly, you, you, you're exactly right. Like, Ten is so serious that now that I'm playing it now, I'm like, all right, it's kind of fun to go through Spira and sort of hang out with all the weird characters instead of all like the dramatic, I'm going to wear silver hair and turn into an angel and murder you characters. Yeah. Gee, who are you talking about? Seymour <laughs> Guado. <laughs> it had been so long since I had heard that voice that my roommate was playing 10 and I was like, oh my God, I forgot how goofy he sounds ridiculous. <laughs> He's like, I am Seymour. <laughs> I'm so not evil. <laughs> oh boy. That pot belly gives it away though. <laughs> Like that guy in Terrible. He eats like baked potatoes and baby souls or something. Like, <laughs> very starchy diet. Wow. Speaking <laughs> of great segues and starchy diets, that Dungeon oh. Rampa 2 track, uh, that is such an interesting song. You know, I, I've, I've only played a little bit of Dungeon Rampa 1 because I was finally convinced to do so. 
it's sort of like with 999. I kept I was so resistant for some ridiculous reason, and like I never got around to it. And then finally, I think Derek convinced me to play it. And then I was sort of in love with that series for about two months while I finished both of them. Yeah. And I feel like I I keep hearing that this is the same deal that Danganronpa sort of has a slow burn of an intro, but then becomes crazy and awesome. Yeah. yeah. Play it. That's probably my biggest. Um, like I ended up liking the first game better than the second, which is different for most people. And I think what it was was the first game everything was new for me, and I liked the characters better. Going into the second, it does. It has um, a slow start, and the pacing is a little little off and that kind of can be like the first few cases aren't that great but then I think it's like you get past that third case and you're like holy I can't put this down like it's so good as you yeah. go through this and like this song like you get it from the beginning but like it was the first time like I kept stopping and I kept telling everyone like god I really like this music like it's so silly like this track in particular but yet I kept that that track stayed in my head throughout the whole time and every time I think of that game I think of that track which is like all right if it's making that big of an impact I cannot not use that for uh this list so yeah, yeah it absolutely has that zany Danganronpa feel for it which is what I love about it yeah, yeah like having even only played like you know I, I think I'm maybe about two hours into the first one and I am I like I heard this and I was like this is absolutely Danganronpa like it's it's interesting when you ha- when your art and your music can convey the tone of your game so closely that even without me having much familiarity with it, I'm like, oh, this is definitely in keeping with the aesthetic of this. Well, that's what's great about it, too, is, like, Danganronpa is, like, the premise is so messed up. Like, these kids are on an island and basically, like, forced to kill each other uh, if they choose that route. But, like, what's great about it, too, is what keeps it so it's not so grim and hard to take is that it's bonkers crazy. And I think <laughs> this track right here is just, like, proof of, like, how just, like, how can you take, like, this is not going to be too dark because there are going to be jokes and funny moments along the way. And it, that's what I appreciate about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think the 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 weird duality is what makes Danganronpa so compelling. Like, mm-hmm. one second somebody's cracking weird jokes about like food, or uh, I don't know. Like, there's a character in Danganronpa too that loves talking about. He's like, I can't wait to go take a crap. <laughs> I said the word. I like and that self censoring. <laughs> Good work, Derek. It was it was actually really close there. So I almost did. <laughs> And it, it, he's such a bizarre character, but he's actually, I, that particular character was one of my favorites and is super likable. So you have somebody being like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And then two seconds later, it's like, oh, one of those, these people was horribly murdered. Let's find out what happened. <laughs> so it's so strange, but it, it, it works. And I, I didn't think it would. Yeah. Um, especially with like the weird, the style is very strange because they do like the blood is pink and it's, I don't know, like it's so surreal that it works somehow. Mm-hmm. But I I I think I I don't know what order you're putting these in, Stephen. But if the other segment already came, I played all of Danganronpa two in like two days. I said, oh gosh, I had to do all of. I was like, I can't stop, I can't stop, I can't. Stop. It's just they're so compelling. And but I think Kim is right. Actually, um, they're both really really good. But I think after you play Danganronpa one, you have an idea of what kind of things can happen. Mm-hmm. So Danganronpa 2 is a little bit more like, all right, what kind of crazy things are going to happen? Let's make some predictions. And then I, I, I wouldn't say that I guessed the twists, but it, I just think there's a little bit less of a surprise mm-hmm. to to the things that happen in Danganronpa 2 because you're like, all right, anything can happen. So, um, but they're oh man, they're so good. And the music is really wacky. And I'm glad that you picked a a more lighthearted and silly track because I picked some kind of dramatic ones in mine. <laughs> oh, you with the dramatics. 
That's me. Uh, speaking of which, actually, I wanted to put a Persona Q so- uh, song on here, but there <laughs> but, are so many people but, who picked that, including you, Derek. So. But somebody else on this show has really good taste, so... <laughs> Thank you, Derek. It's wanted, very nice of you to say. I just want to say, give it some props. I mean, Persona... All the Persona. Persona games have great music, so it shouldn't be a shocker that I'm picky. I want to give props again to Persona. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, we, we talked about how we wanted to bring up Persona Q. We've played so much of it already that, you know, we didn't want to, you know, inundate people with it. But it's like, I think you picked Maze of Life, and that's actually the exact track that Derek picked. But it's like, I think the fact that so many people, like, we're doing our Music of the Year, like, write-ups and the, the podcast and stuff, and, like, almost everybody has a Persona Q track. And I think we sort of talked about that it's it's awesome because... You know, they've been sort of not not that it's bad that they've been, you know, using the Persona 4 material so frequently because Persona 4 is amazing. But, you know, they've been using it so much that we're all sort of like, all right, we want new Persona material. And Persona Q is at once like so in that Persona style, but also its own new thing that I think it's just like so good to listen to. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the Persona tracks always do such a good job at, like, conveying, like, personality. And I feel like Maze of Life, what I picked, like, you start the game and you're like, all right, let's do this. Yep. It's a it's the perfect intro to that story. I yeah. remember at E3 last year, I think the song had, like, sort of just come out and the game wasn't even close to out. And Derek and I knew the words well enough to sing it in the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> right? We are, aren't we? Thank you. Adorable. Well, on that adorable note, Kim, thank you so much for taking your time to join us for Music of the Year. I know you're too busy writing awesome cover stories at Game Informer, so we appreciate oh. you taking your time to join us. And it's so nice to talk to you. Yes. yes. It's awesome for to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. I need to do this more often. You're always welcome. We, we do tons of episodes, so if you ever want to talk about some kind of music, you know, like Kingdom Hearts music, <laughs> feel free to join us. Oh, oh we will. So for Derek and Mike, everyone, thanks for listening. And Kim, once again, thank you for joining us. And listeners, continue listening. We've got still more coming in Music of the Year.
And welcome back, everybody, to RPG Fan and Rhythm Encounters Music of the Year Extravaganza Mega Celebration. We are finally recording our final guest segment, and we saved the best for last. We, <laughs> joining us for this segment, we have the wonderful Emily Reese, on-air host of Classical Minnesota Public Radio, as well as host and champion, I'm adding that one, of the Top Score podcast. Emily, hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Wonderful, thank you. And also joining us is my stalwart co-host, 
Hey, Caitlin Aragiros here. Also, big thanks and hello to Emily as well. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. <laughs> so, for those of you who are unaware, listeners, Top Score is this really great podcast and one of the shows that actually inspired Rhythm Encounter. So, Emily chats with a ton of really talented composers about their experience writing for games, and in in, in my opinion, forgive me for maybe massaging your ego here, uh, I think <laughs> one of the one of the really great forces at work right now, fostering appreciation not only for game music as it appears in games, but also in the art and appreciation of the medium, and that you know you've worked you've You've spoken to heavyweights, I will say, like Enon Zero, <laughs> Jason Graves, Jack Wall, Jesper Kidd, and you know, you actually spoke to our buddy Jason Napolitano, who was actually earlier yep. on. Uh, we had him on an earlier segment. Cool. Yeah, and, Jason's great. Yeah, he's such an enthusiast, and you know, he yeah. he talked, and you know, I I'm, I'm sort of embarrassed, but I also am glad we all of our guests are so much better at speaking about music than we are. But it's, <laughs> that, it's it's awesome because you know, Jason came on, and you know, we were talking before the show too, and just. Everybody has such great things to say, and I'm, it's yeah. wonderful to have you here to celebrate all of the huge amount of excellent game music that came out in 2014. Oh, I'm happy to, happy to be here. Yeah, there was a lot of great music last year. It was a weird year, but it was a good year. That's a, that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> well, what's funny is actually we originally, uh, when we first talked about your picks, we had actually, you had selected the Dragon Age Inquisition main theme, and so... Yeah. I think we made a good call having that earlier in the show because I've had a ton of people select that song, so clearly that needed to be represented here. So yeah, definitely. It was. I mean, what really? People have talked about it already, but it was a really great theme. It was like exactly. It was a good fit. Yeah, it was. It was well suited to that game, and I think also I really liked the sort of vocal work they did with it. Um, yeah. You know, in that sequence in the game when everyone starts singing the lyrics to it. Uh, you know, it's just really a really cohesive piece that I liked a lot. Yes, yes, me too. So let's go ahead and start talking about your picks. And the first two you've selected, uh, you actually recently spoke to Peter McConnell uh, about yes. his uh, work on the remastered Grim Fandango soundtrack, which I'm yes. so excited to hear. Oh, so amazing. Yeah, I didn't know if I could pick a remastered soundtrack or not. Of course, that would be this year. That's this year. But yeah, Peter McConnell's awesome. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. And, hey, you'll just have to come back next year and we can talk about Grim Fandango then. Yes, and, well, yeah, there's other things, too. Hearthstone, he wrote the Hearthstone music, which was yes. fabulous. And we'll have an episode with him on that on Top Score coming up, too. But, but um, yeah, the Hearthstone music was great, too. I mean, Peter is just, he is, he's kind of the creme de la creme, you know? <laughs> yeah, we were we were talking before the show just about how, you know, the even the diversity within one game is great that Peter can do. Yes. And you, in fact, your first pick, as a, as a matter of segue, uh, <laughs> you picked a track from Broken Age, which uh, on, on your Music of the Year show, you actually mentioned that Broken Age was underappreciated, and I sort of cheered in my seat. <laughs> I was like, yes, Broken Age is wonderful. I'm always talking about how, how wonderful that game is, and I think the music yeah. is a big part. Yeah, I think, and honestly, I, I think that that kind of suffered as a result of coming out so early last year. I think that that can be really tricky. You know, um, I, I wonder if that game had come out toward the end of the year, if it had been more at the forefront of everyone's minds, because I think that everyone who you talk to that played the game, that knows about the game, loved that music. You know, I think it was just kind of forgotten about, quite honestly. No, absolutely. A lot of really great scores that, that were forgotten about this year, but yeah. 
Yeah, yeah and that's, that's that, one of them. <laughs> that's actually part of what we've been trying to do with our music of the year yeah. too. Is you know we're you know when we were first you know plotting and everyone was thinking of what they were going to pick, it was like wow, was was Broken Age this year? It was so, it feels like it was so long ago, yeah. and you know it was like, almost a year ago. Yeah, it's it's just crazy how you know yeah. it's not that much time, but it's enough that it you know it feels so much more distant, and people sort yeah. of forget. I think. Yep. Yep. So, um, what's the track you picked from Broken Age for us to listen to? What is the name of the track I picked? I know what the track is. I can't remember the name of it. What did it? It, it is a wonderful track called Shay's Secret Mission. Shay's Secret Mission. Okay, this is why I picked Shay's Secret Mission. Okay, so if you played Broken Age, you know that there's a terrestrial side and a space side. So Vela lives on, I don't know if it's Earth or whatever, and then Shay lives in a spaceship, right? And so to highlight that, Peter used orchestra mostly or, you know, um, acoustic instruments, let's say, for Vela, and he used electronics for Shea. And I've long admired Peter's instrumental work, like acoustic, any kind of acoustic instrument. It doesn't even have to be orchestra. It can be, it could be his guitar music on Hearthstone, which he plays all that himself um, or whatever, but... I'd never really spent a lot of time listening to anything that he did electronic-wise, and it, it's just great. It's just so good. I, I mean, you'd think that that's what he spends all his time doing. <laughs> he, makes, he, he makes it look effortless. Yeah, I mean, I was just really blown away because sometimes, I mean, there are people who excel, uh, you know, with with acoustic instruments, and there are people who excel with synths and electronics and pedals and amps and all of that gear and they don't they don't always meet in the middle you know i mean they're very specialized things and just the fact that he i just think it's really great i mean i don't know i like i should be surprised i mean peter mcconnell is uh, really he's the real deal <laughs> he is the real deal my very technical response to that is heck yeah I know. I just like you just like pull the string in my back and let go, and that's all you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so right after Shay's Secret Mission, uh, you also picked Persistent Impulse from a game that I think is chronically underappreciated, Borderlands oh. pre sequel. Yes, Borderlands the pre sequel. Well, I mean the game. Okay. <laughs> Let's just I, talk about the music. The game. Enough. I love the Borderlands games. Totally, no question about it. And yes, for kid, it's it, anybody who pays any attention to me knows that I, again, huge, huge fan. And again, the real deal. I mean, Jesper's been in the business since he didn't even have facial hair, basically. Like, back, <laughs> you know, like that's the best expression I've heard all day. Yes, <laughs> the the European demo scene. You know, I mean, which I don't think people know too much about I don't know maybe people do I, I, what do I know but uh, that demo scene was so huge especially even in Denmark and like that was just like that's what he ate and dreamt about and slept and you know that's what he lived and I, I don't know he just brings all that experience and so that aside his Borderlands the pre-sequel music is just so good and here, this is another example of uh, this soundtrack was completely electronic. Every single note in that is electronic, which is not 
normal for the Borderlands soundtracks. You know, the first two had the dobro guitar and, you know, that kind of Western gritty feel to it on top of the electronics. Yeah. And so Jesper just really got to, like, let his... He has, like, an amazing studio just full of the most amazing analog synths, and he just got to let them all rip. And this persistent impulse track... It just proves that Jesper is kind of like, kind of like the king of groove. <laughs> you know, he just, he just, the groove in this song is so amazing. So yeah, Jesper, he's the man. <laughs> it sort of reminds me. This soundtrack actually sort of reminds me. You, you were saying, you know, he got to let loose with his style. It's sort of like when Nobu Uematsu went freelance and started doing albums or work for games that were not specifically Square Enix and Final Fantasy. Yeah, and you saw him yeah. doing so much more like rock music and like just yep. wailing guitars have become sort of his, his yeah. style. And it, I, got, I get the sense that he's making the music that he always just wanted to do and was yep. like just on the cusp of making. Yeah, exactly. But you know what's really fascinates me about Jesper? And it's something that to me, seems like such an obvious fit that it never occurred to me. But I talked to him uh, uh, several months ago, and he said, you know, I've never done a sci-fi score. Now, you could argue that Borderlands is sci-fi, but we're talking like 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of sci-fi. Yeah. Or Aliens kind of sci-fi. Done a soundtrack, like like hardcore, like Blade Runner kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's just fascinating to me because... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I chose last the year before last. Uh, Darksiders Two was hands down oh, was one of my favorites. And and if it hadn't been for, uh, was that last year or the year before? Wait, that might have been the year before. That might have been 2013. Oh gosh, I know In I reviewed event. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. That's when. another fabulous example of like how how his style is. He has such a distinct voice. Like, to me, I can hear a song and be like, that's totally Jesper. Yeah. But, but it never takes away from uh, its effectiveness in the game. You know what I mean? Like, it's still just so perfect. Like, the second I started playing Darksiders 2, I was like, oh, there's nothing else that could be put in this score right now. Like, this is the perfect music for this experience right now. And Absolutely. that's Jesper's great. So, yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. With that, everybody needs to listen to that whole soundtrack, Borderlands the pre-sequel, man. That is a great, great soundtrack. Yeah, Completely I would agree. agree. Yes. I'm, always, I'm always singing the praises of Borderlands, and I would love to get people listening to more of the music. We actually played some uh, Borderlands mm-hmm. two music on the show a few months ago. And, oh, sweet. But before we go any further, let's go ahead and take a listen to Shay's Secret Mission and Persistent Impulse.
You know, one of the things that I really love about the Broken Age soundtrack, and you, you sort of touched on this, Emily, is that I feel like the music is used to highlight the differences in circumstances between the two characters, you know, with, you know, Shay being on a spaceship and Vela being, well, where Vela is. And, yeah. you know, I, I feel like the music is a huge part of that game's character. And, you know, this song, just to, again, my, my technical terminology in music is not quite up to stuff, but, you know, the, the, the plucky strings and that, that piano note just gives me the sense yeah. of just 
you tiptoeing around as Shay trying to avoid mom computer. And, you know, just the, the guitar hits in the middle remind me of, like, a spy movie. And I feel like I feel like it's the song Shay would have in his head while he's sneaking around trying to find something exciting and hiding from mom. Yeah, yeah. And, and Peter, to me, is so good at capturing those kinds of characteristics, that, that kind of emotion, that curiosity. And, uh, you know, one of the things that it seems like he and I always end up talking about whenever we chat is... Um, you know, Looney Tunes, Carl Stalling, the composer um, for many, 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 many of the cartoons that we all grew up watching, you know, the opera ones and the all, all those fabulous Looney Tune cartoons. Magic Helmet? Yeah, it's just B.O.A. Magic Helmet. Yeah, Magic all Helmet. of that stuff. And um, Carl Stalling, just that influence and how one of the things that Peter talks about when he talks about Carl Stalling is how in opera, like with real people, you know, Puccini or Verdi or Wagner or any of these, Rossini or Beethoven, they can't, they don't score things like eyebrows moving up and down or a tail twitching, you know, that that kind of detail can't really happen on the stage because you can't zoom in on it, right? But when you have something like a cartoon, you can zoom in on a rabbit and have the eyebrows move up and down and have little, you know, bells tinkle or something like that. And it's those kinds of things that um, I think Peter brings that kind of sensitivity to a lot of his music, even when he's not scoring directly to picture. You know, um, a lot of the grim music was, you know, to picture like you would in a movie. But um, that's not the case with Broken Age, but um, still it's that same kind of curiosity with the music, the playfulness in the music that I think resonates really well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I talk about my, my favorite track on that soundtrack is, is so brief, but it's March in the Clouds. And oh, I feel like yeah. it's absolutely an example of what we're talking about here with just yeah. the character and the sort of playfulness being in the song. You know, yep. it's just, it's amazing yep. how well it captures not only what's happening on the screen in the game at the time, but just the characters yeah. that are making it happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's so. interesting that you you bring up playfulness and the idea of uh, of a cartoon because I'm listening to it and I'm like, that sounds familiar. That almost sounds like Sly Cooper. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second, he did Sly Cooper too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Sly, oh, oh, I love those soundtracks so much because it's like you're playing a cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that what we all wanted to do always anyway? <laughs> I mean, like, that's, yeah, it's, he's just, it's it's a sensitivity and an attention to detail that, uh, you know, I think gets lost a lot because, there's that you are constantly in video games running that risk of hearing something over and over and over and over again and getting sick of it. And so I think that prevents a lot of composers from taking risks and including um, just doing more experimentation in music that will play over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Chris Velasco uh, does something really cool where he, um, after he finishes a cue, he'll just put it on loop and listen to it for, like, the whole day. <laughs> wow. So that if something starts to bother him, he changes it. 
That's really interesting. That's, that's really fascinating to me. And of course, you know, not every composer was is built that way or can function that way. But it's just that whole idea of you know Peter just still manages to have all these colors and all these elements, and you just never get sick of hearing it. Absolutely. I don't know. Sorry, I'm rambling so much. No, no. That's, <laughs> we, this is exactly what we want to talk about. It's great stuff. We are a pro-rambling podcast. Excellent. Yes. Especially Excellent. when the rambling is as eloquent as yours. So. Yeah, and you know, now that now that we've talked about Shay's secret mission and everyone's heard it, and uh, it's <laughs> there, I think there might be acoustic sounds in that particular track, but there are some purely electronic tracks in Broken Age that are you know, just amazing. So, yeah. There's a lot of really great contrast between the two, I, would, I guess I'll call them the halves of the, of the story and the soundtrack. Yeah, definitely. Yet there's still cohesion, right? I mean, that's what's beautiful. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I'm, again, I'm super glad you picked Broken Age. I'm glad we <laughs> Happy to help, yes. yes. And so Persistent Impulse, actually. So I'm actually sort of in the process of playing Borderlands, the pre-sequel, my best friend. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of Borderlands 1 and 2, and I love the music, and, mm -hmm. you know, I we, we were talking about this a little bit before we listened, but this is sort of, I think this reflects the change in setting really well. Um, yeah. You know, for me, it's like, you know, you yeah. had that sort of Western influence to it before, but now it's like, you have this, like, gritty, crunchy, industrial tech sound yeah. to everything, and, you know, I feel like... <clears throat> Borderlands is this really interesting mashup of humor with sort of quote-unquote serious sci-fi. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that it's successful in that regard is that you have this music that sort of does a great job of capturing those serious aspects, but there's yeah. playfulness to the music. Yeah. That even if it's heavy playfulness, it sort of captures that weird tongue-in-cheek vibe that Borderlands has going on. And this one in particular just... For a game where basically the box art is somebody floating through space and the main mechanic is bouncing around in low gravity, I feel like this is just dead on <laughs> yeah. the past. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, you know, Jesper is the kind of composer um, who can, like, hit record and just, like, improvise an amazing track. And uh, he actually hit that, my favorite, one of my favorite tracks in Darksiders 2. When I interviewed him about it, I was like, dude, What's up with Crystal Spire? That song's amazing. Oh my gosh, that song is so good. And he go, he goes, yeah, I kind of just improvised that whole thing, and I'm like, <laughs> what? But I mean, but that's the kind of you know that's that's the caliber of composer we're dealing with here. <laughs> that, that, that's the level of artistry that you get. Yeah, with, and, the, and with talent. And I love that you you kind of hear that happening too you can hear these things unfolding um, you know these these improvisational things that he'll do and and he also loves to play with time and twist and weave motives around and kind of trick you into thinking that the beat is somewhere else and I just I really appreciate that about him yeah absolutely and you know what I'm always impressed with too is like you mentioned he's so prolific uh, it's sort of like Yuzo Koshiro. He's been around since the 80s, too, and just I'm consistently amazed by his work and kids' work at just yeah. how diverse it can sound. You know, like, I think the first time I was really becoming aware of his work was with the Assassin's Creed games. Yeah, and yeah just, same here. You know, I, I, I didn't yeah. necessarily enjoy playing Assassin's Creed, but I really enjoyed watching my roommates <laughs> play it 
and just hearing the music <laughs> and just being so impressed by the, yep. the style that this music had. Because that's another weird fusion of, like, you have sort of, you yep. know, ancient history with modern sci-fi. So, and I think the yep. music reflects that really well. Yeah, and, I mean, there have been a lot of great um, composers that have worked on Assassin's Creed since, but uh, Chris Velasco, for instance, just did uh, the latest DLC, and it's fabulous. But, I mean, to me, <laughs> that was the biggest mistake they ever made with that series was not bringing him back. And, mm-hmm. and again, I say that with the utmost respect for Lauren Balf and, I mean, any, anybody else I've ever interviewed about Assassin's Creed, I have the utmost respect for the music they wrote for it and everything, but um, it was just kind of a tragedy. And I think I think you know a lot of people still aren't really over that. <laughs> yeah, like the style and sound definitely changes. Like I, I do like I really mm-hmm. like Winifred Phillips' uh, mm-hmm. uh, score for uh, Liberation. Liberation. I love mm-hmm. that one too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but I, it definitely but that, it has a style that is hard to emulate. Well, and and you know, and I could argue that she did emulate that sound on her soundtrack, and then that that could be, you know, part of the reason why it sounds so great. I mean, obviously she's talented. I don't want to take away from that, but it's no, very... No, but absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's strong source material to start with. We're actually, yeah. we're actually yeah. interviewing uh, Winifred Phillips, and we, we have a question that sort of talks about coming in after Jesper Kid on Assassin's Creed, yeah. like what that experience is like. As a composer, yeah. it's got to be nerve-wracking. Yeah, it must be a very daunting challenge to take yeah. over the reins, even for a game like Liberation, which was not a, a main entry in the series. Yeah, well, I mean, of course it can't be, because it had a woman protagonist. Right, so, right. It's never get a main entry in the series. series. And, <laughs> what and what's funny is that I, you know, I, I don't especially love the series in terms of gameplay, but, like, she had an interesting storyline, too, and... I remember hearing that there was this whole like push to have her included in the main game because people liked her so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we won't we really we talk about see. Ubisoft's gaffes at this yeah. juncture. It's hard to animate female characters. Of what? course it is. They do a fine job of animating the females in Far Cry 4. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, I got no complaints about that. But, I mean, it's like, it's just, yeah, that's whatever. One of those weird businessy things that doesn't translate well to human interaction. Yeah, yeah, that whole franchise, Assassin's Creed, man, it's it's an interest. They lost me. They lost me. Yes. Me I mean, they had me back for Black Flag, and then uh, after all that fallout of like, yeah, I was done. There are a lot of good reasons to have been lost. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to tease them too hard, but yeah, but I, I think we're, I think we're on the same page here. Yeah. So speaking of being on the same page. Yes. Uh, so your next two tracks, actually, uh, one of them is from uh, Destiny, and it's called Deconstruction. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that one, because Destiny is a soundtrack. I know you're a fan of it, Caitlin. Yes. And, you know, I yeah. I played the beta, and I sort of enjoyed it, but never really got into the game. Um, but the music yeah. is just fantastic. You're probably going to live a longer life for never uh-huh. having gotten in the game. <laughs> this game, this game has shortened my life by many, many years. Bungie, thank you for, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but <laughs> in fact, they lost me too. I've actually probably cut in half the amount I played it, played Destiny in the last couple of weeks. But um, that soundtrack. Where to even start? But let's start with Deconstruction, because that's the track we're going to talk about. (laughs) Um, 
This was done by C. Paul Johnson, which I found out because you told me about this amazing website, which you might as well give a shout out to VGMDB. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we you know we we Man. use VGMDB for every facet of RPG fan music. You know, and I it's will amazing. now too. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's, this is it's if you're not familiar with it, it's basically the Wikipedia of game and anime soundtracks. Um, it's it's all basically created by the community, but there's such an attention to detail and to consistency. You know, you'll have people on here that are like, "Hey, the 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 liner notes for this album didn't include who did the saxophone part for this one song." <laughs> Let me go ask on Twitter. And they'll find it, and they'll put it in the notes. So, and that kind of archival work is so important. Yeah, that's amazing. It's uh, amazing. Yeah. You can't have that for like films nowadays. Like, you know, they're just yeah. old films that we'll never know who like the key grip or something was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, we, we did at Magfest. We did an interview with the Beep uh, Game Sound documentary yeah. crew, yeah. and Karen Collins actually talked about that too. We're in this sort of weird position where. Most of the major players in gaming are still alive, so we need to, you know, take this stuff down as best as we can. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So that's our so plug. That's to how I found out. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty sure that Marty hadn't written it, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure. So in any event, um, C. Paul Johnson wrote the track, and it's called Deconstruction and Super Short, and it starts. It ends as a full piece, but begins as fragments of that piece. That probably is the best way to make it. Best way to make it make sense. Um, but it's only like a minute and a half long. But it's just this twisting, turning, you know, synth thing that I just love. I love. And you only hear it when you're in the tower, and they have that track turned down more than any other track in the game, and it <laughs> bums me out so much because it's too quiet. I want to hear it louder. And somebody on YouTube put it on like a 60-hour loop or something like that, and I love that person. <laughs> oh, I, that's one of my favorite things about YouTube. If I ever hear a sound clip or a short song, I'm like, I bet on YouTube there's a 10-hour loop of this. <laughs> yeah. that's, how, that, that's how I have my 10-hour loop of Dr. Farnsworth and Futurama in the, in the Disco Dome. Oh, the Chamber God. of Contemplation. It's just wonderful. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So after deconstruction, we have a track from a game we've never featured on the show. So woo! I always celebrate when we have games we've never featured. And <laughs> yeah. uh, this is Valley of the Blinding, which I believe you said is the credits theme to The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Yes, it's the credits song. And uh, I didn't play Ethan Carter. I watched a lot of Ethan Carter, and I listened to the soundtrack, obviously, because or I listened to segments of the soundtrack. Uh, when I had a chance to do a print interview with um, Nikolai Strawinsky. But this last song, I think what made me love it even more was his answer. <laughs> uh, because the song doesn't have words. It's just like she's just like mouthing things, you know, just like syllables. Um, it's like it, you kind of think it has words until you really start paying attention and you realize she's not saying words. Uh, but what he says about that is that he likes to avoid lyrics in general because it allows the listener, in, in his words, the listener can fill it in with his own content. And I just love that. And, and he takes that concept from Count Basie and, to be fair, about every other composer before Count Basie who, who chose to focus on silence in music that silence in music is just as important as the sound in music. 
and you know just like Mikolai saying you know we don't I don't need to give you words for you to to you know fill in your own blanks here and it's just it's a lovely song so before we talk about them any further let's go ahead and take a listen to deconstruction and valley of the blinding
So deconstruction is interesting for the reasons you mentioned, Emily, but also for me, uh, I played a lot of a, of a strategy game called Endless Space, and I cannot remember the name of the composer, but it's this sort of beautiful space civilization-type game that's very contemplative and thoughtful, and a lot of the music reminds me of Deconstruction, which makes makes sense. Yeah. You know, Destiny is a very space-bound game, and just the simplicity of this song and sort of the, the tone, the, the quality of the sound just really gives me this sort of, you know, this is the, the place of contemplation or meditation, and I just, I, I love this sort of, I don't, I, all I can call it is spacey, but that is the yeah. the impression it gives me. I just really enjoy cyclic, the cyclic part of it, just how it it just rotates around itself and uh, how the bass kind of, it's like contrapuntal almost. It's kind of like counterpoint where mm-hmm. these two voices are just working and weaving and um, yeah, I like it. I like the way it makes me feel. <laughs> yeah, I like how it, it starts off very simple and then builds. It's like, it. you're right, it, it keeps going around and around in a circle and every time it goes around something new or more complex is added until finally you get the big picture. And Deconstruction is a really apt name for this track. Yeah, yeah. Or it could could be called Reconstruction, really. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's a cool cool piece for sure. Yeah, I wish I could hear it more in the game. Just, yeah. Yeah. Music is like the best part. I say the music and the um, the art uh, direction for the game were like the best parts of that game. Oh yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I think the hand cannons are the best part. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of no, construction as I use my hand cannon. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Fabulous. I like explosive rounds. Um, oh, those yeah. are great. I like those in Borderlands as well. Speaking of games with explosive rounds. Yes, every game should have explosive rounds. (laughs) Actually, Borderlands is the game that really got me addicted to being a sniper. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, because I played Mordecai the first two games, yeah. Well, not the second game. It wasn't Mordecai, but yeah, the first game. I was very sad about how things worked out with Bloodwing. Yes. (laughs) Thanks, Steven. Now I'm sad. Bringing down the night. We, we have a lot of editors at RPG Fan that, you know, sort of either are not fans of Borderlands or just aren't fans of the story, and I really feel like Borderlands 2 what? takes that silliness, and, like, occasionally, it's, it's sort of like Futurama or, like, Scrubs, where, like, they do all this, this serious stuff, but then or the silly stuff, but then occasionally yeah. they just punch you in the gut with something Yes, like, yeah, like the Tiny Tina DLC. Oh, my goodness, the end of that DLC is... Oh. I actually, I've played. I played a song from that DLC and talked about how Borderlands does not get the credit it deserves for how nuanced some of the writing is. Some of the writing is silly internet meme writing, but then yeah, other the the, the key parts really get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They really do. And I'm sorry, but the part where where Scooter has you write like get out the stuff for the poem and he writes the poem and you have to give it to <laughs> Daisy and she just shuts the door and shoots herself. <laughs> funniest things I've ever seen in anything in my life. Like I can pull that clip up if I'm having a bad day and just end up in tears of laughter at the end. I just I actually I I played the entire game with with three friends. We played on Skype, you know, we would play every night and uh yeah. 
you know, we got to that part, and we're normally loud and yelling at each other, and you know, having drinks or doing whatever we're doing. And we're watching this because we're all, we always are dead silent when Scooter's on screen because we're like, oh, we gotta oh, hear what he has to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's happening, and it is the rare moment of the four of us just dead silent. What is happening? And then all of a sudden, just explosive laughter, and it's like, wow. <laughs> Oh, it's the best. It's the best. I can't even... It's, I've probably watched that scene more than almost any other scene in any video game. That and the um, the Reaper scene, the Sovereign scene in Mass Effect. I like to watch that from time oh, to time. Oh, man. That is a That's great one, too. Excellent. Behind that too. So not to take us too far off topic, but the, <laughs> I think my favorite scene in Borderlands 2 is at the end when you open the gate to go fight Handsome Jack. And Claptrap's like, we're going to get him! And then the door opens really slowly, and it's a giant staircase. Yes! And they, and they give you the payoff of a joke they set up at the very beginning of this 50-hour game. Shadows! <laughs> no! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. That's so great. Oh, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. I have a Borderlands poster hanging in my living room. Thumbs up. <laughs> I'm going to have one of those. I should. Yeah, yeah. So the the last track you picked, uh, Valley of the Blinding. I, I've I've played very little of Ethan Carter. I played basically the beginning, and I I've, mm-hmm. I definitely got a sense of the kind of game they were building, where it's this sort of yeah. really contemplative, quiet type experience that yes. I think challenges you to read a lot of your own perspective and thoughts into what you're seeing and exploring because it's very understated. Yeah. And so when you talk about the singer just sort of singing syllables, but not actually words. Yeah, it's, it sort of it brings up this interesting argument that I have a lot of why I don't often listen to music with words. I mean, I do, and I love <laughs> good lyrics. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly. But for me, a lot of the musical experience comes around what I'm putting into it as a listener in terms of my own head and how I'm, you know, seeing it. So, like when I take a list of my favorite game music and go work out at the gym, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm imagining myself as the hero, or I'm imagining, you know, yeah. something. I'm reading myself into that music, so it's really interesting that they would do this with the vocals, and it reminds me, and this is actually um, uh, the Persona series. Uh, I've heard this sort of myth, and I don't know if it's true, and we actually are interviewing the writer of the song to ask if it's true, but Mm. there's this sense, um, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the song Mass Destruction, but it has vocals that are sort of really fast and really hard to understand, and they're sort of... English, but very intentionally, like, Englishy type English that doesn't sound yeah. right. Yeah. And part of part of what I've heard is that the vocals are written in such a way that they are in your subconscious, that it's just the sounds you're hearing in your head as you're doing, as these characters are doing the things in the story. Wow. And that, that's really interesting to me, because the whole game is about your inner self, your persona. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested to find out, because if that's the case, it's sort of a similar tack to here, where you are reading meaning into these quote-unquote, lyrics. Yeah, and I mean, seriously, the first two vocalizations she makes, if you're not paying attention, you think she's saying things, which is really cool, you know, because she's not just saying ooh and ah and la and whatever. I mean, it's like she's vocalizing something, just not words. <laughs> it's it's sort yeah. of the, the voice as an instrument, but not for lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Makes you want to so. play the game. I need to get around to that someday. <laughs> yeah, I know. Put it on the list, right? Yeah, my endless list that just get. I think I get more games than I finish. 
Oh, yeah. Well, that's because, look, I get addicted to a game. You know, I, I, I stumbled into all of this. Like, I didn't set out to be, uh, you know, like a spokesperson for video game music. That wasn't really what my intention was. I was just a gamer who really dug the music, you know. And so when I play games, I'm not always very good at being like, well, I really should play this other game. You know, like, reviewers are really good at that, I think. Like, reviewers who are good reviewers are able to be like, you know, I need to review this game tomorrow. I need to play these games. Yeah. I get addicted. I'll, I'll get into a game for a few months, and then I'll just be, like, done with it. Now I'll move on to the next, you know. Bring every last bit of entertainment out of it. I, I try. I, I'm in, like, a weird position, because I, I do reviews of games for RPG fan, but then on the other hand, I also... There was this period of time where I first started, and I was only reviewing games that I was already playing. And then it got to the point where I was, like, taking assignments for the site. They're like, hey, we have a copy of this game. We need to review it. Yeah. And so, like, I entered this weird period for, like, two years where I was, like, not playing anything unless I was reviewing it. Oh, yeah, that's... It, it, like, I was not enjoying things as much as a result, because I was, like, you know... As yeah. a graduate student, too, I'm trying to separate my critical side from the yeah. side of me that just wants to enjoy something. Yes. Uh, and so, like, I've, I've sort of gotten away from it lately where it's, you know, sort of I, I, I'll take longer between reviews and think about them a lot more. But it's, yeah, you know, when your goal is to play a lot of games, mm-hmm. uh, it can be hard both from yeah. a I'm playing this for fun and from a I'm reviewing this perspective. Yes, yes. And in that regard, I think it's good that Bungie keeps making the mistakes they're making with Destiny because it's forced me to, <laughs> to like stop mainlining it so much. So yeah, yeah, I, I I I don't envy the position they're in. They're sort of in a similar position that Blizzard was slash maybe is, depending on your perspective, with Diablo mm-hmm. three, where that came out and was sort of not really well regarded, and then oh. they've been rebuilding it, and you know people are dumping tons of hours into it, myself included. Oh, but, Diablo three! Oh my god! Yeah. You know, it's you make those mistakes, and you know, it, it's a it's a weird type of thing where you have this live game that's being updated all the time, and you make yes. a mistake, and half your half your base quits because you wasted their time. Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, believe me, I've, I'm still playing a lot of it. <laughs> I'm just not playing it nonstop anymore. Like I'm putting a lot more time into other games as well, and like when my friends are on and we want to do the raid, or if you know, we have a something specific we want to do, we'll, we do it. Yeah, we definitely do it, but I'm done with the grinding, and I'll come, I'll definitely, well, I don't know about definitely, but I would imagine I'll come back in May when the DLC comes. And that's fine, you know, but I'm not going to grind for the next three months until the DLC comes out. <laughs> that's that's a remarkably similar story to my relationship with Final Fantasy XIV, where no! I played nonstop with Caitlin and some of our other editor friends, and, you know, we played mm-hmm. tons and tons and tons, and I sort of dropped off, and I was like, oh, I don't want to grind. And now it's like whenever a patch comes out with new stuff, I hop on for a week, I do all of it, and then I'm like, all right, I'll see you guys in three months. Yeah. And we're like, bye, Steb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. It was just interesting because the very first, okay, the first raid, the Vault of Glass, I didn't have all the equipment from the... I still don't. There's a couple guns I'm missing, but I have... Uh, I I didn't have any of... I didn't have all of the stuff until after this last DLC came out, after this newest raid came out. And I started doing the new raid, and we started beating the new raid. Well, we started cheesing it. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> we beat them legit first, but then then we once we yeah, realized we could cheese it, we cheesed it every opportunity we had. And uh, I ended up getting like all the gear, all the guns. I mean, I'm missing a couple of things, but seriously, like it's not worth it. You know, I mean, depending on who you're with, those raids, you can be in the raid for four hours and not beat Crota, or you can be in it for 20 minutes and beat him, depending on who you're with. And it's just, it's a, I'm more fulfilled not grinding. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think, completely agree. I think if the foundation was stronger for the game, if you had more of an incentive to be putting in yeah. hours, more content. Yeah. Yeah, more like places to go, more things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I always sort of imagine that game as being like this vast, gigantic experience, and from what like I hear, like Skyrim it's... in space or something. Well, that's, that's the way they kind of, you know, yeah. presented it when, when they were, you know, at E3 and whatnot, and that's what everyone got excited about. And then it turned out to be a lot smaller and shorter than way everyone thought. Way small. Yeah, and so and I mean, short. Oh my god. Yeah. There's an exactly. argument to be made that they want it to be this you know, ongoing thing and that they'll yeah. it'll reach that point somewhere down the line, but then there's the argument that, oh hey, I paid sixty dollars for this game and I feel like mm -hmm. I should have only spent thirty on it for how and, much time I can do to spend with it. Well, not to mention the fact that it's a five hundred million dollar game that plays like a fifty million dollar game. Right. <laughs> wow. And you know, I mean the problem is is that they spent they probably spent about four hundred million dollars on marketing, fifty million dollars on Paul McCartney, and fifty million dollars <laughs> on the game. That's where all that money went. And it's like it's so frustrating because it, I just feel like the way these AAA games are are pushed and sold in advance before they're even sold. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just wrecked everything. Like, yeah. if you can imagine if they had spent half as much on marketing as they spent, they could have made 50% better of a game, in my opinion. 50% more of a game, no less, too. Exactly. I mean, it's just like, what is wrong with you? And and the thing is, too, this is because I made, kind of made a similar joke, Caitlin, is like, you can make the argument that they've said all along Destiny is a 10-year plan, and so I said that to one of my friends the other night, and he, he's, he's like, yeah, and a $1,000 investment from all of us. Like, if you think about it, if I'm pumping des money into Destiny over the next 10 years, it's going to cost me a fortune, and it's like, we'll you just... really convince me I need to spend that much money. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly, because it's, I mean, not only did I spend 60 on the game, but then you got to buy the DLC too. So I've already spent what, like 30 more on the season pass. So right there, I spent 90 bucks on their game, just yeah. right out of the gate. And I spent 90 bucks on a game where you really can grind through the entire story in one day. Yes, that is. There aren't words. I I just had to hold back so many cuss words for that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You spent $500 million on that game, and I can grind through the story in one day. <laughs> there, are indie, there are indie developers that make games for $5,000 that last longer. Yes! I, I mean, mean uh, now, I mean, yeah. I, I still play the hell out of it because the shooting mechanics are absolutely fabulous. Like, the grenade, when I throw the grenade, it goes exactly where I want the grenade to go. I mean, I there there's some, it's like Borderlands without the humor. It's great. It's super fun. But, I mean, it's just not what I was told it was going to be. It, it's, it, from what I've underst I understand, it just there needs to be more to it. 
Yeah. It's just like, it's like life. You know, everybody's like, life is great, life is great, and then you, like, live life, and you're like, <laughs> like, all I did was grind for, for 60,000. I, I, I just grind every day in it. <laughs> Life's a grind, man. <laughs> Rhythm Encounter, music of the year, bringing you your dark yeah, exactly. of the day. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Um, and again, Emily, I know I've said it multiple times, but thank you so much for joining us. You know, you... We fought through some tech and timing issues to be here, and I, it's just, it's, as I said, I was listening to your show before this was even a show that we start. we started the show last year, or two years ago now, gosh, uh, and, you know, so it's, it's wonderful to have you on the show when I'm like, well, it's here partially because of you anyway, uh, oh, so. Thank you, that's amazing. And again, uh, to, to the listeners, uh, Top Score is a great show. It's, it's, for me, it's fun to listen to as an enthusiast, as just somebody who likes games and likes game audio, but also from, again, that sort of higher-minded, you know, archival and art appreciation of an art form. Uh, there's a lot to be said for talking to the creators of the music that we love so much. Yeah. Uh, so definitely check out Top Score. Um, you know, Emily is on Twitter. I believe it's Top Score Podcast. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that right? Twitter yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so definitely check out Emily's show if you're a fan of Rhythm Encounter and you're not already listening to it. And uh, again, Emily, thank you so much for joining us for Music of the Year. Yes, thank Such you. A pleasure. Such a pleasure. Thank you both very much for having me. Our pleasure. Yes, the pleasure is ours. And for the listeners, keep on going because we've got a few last segments to go through. I feel like I've been saying that for weeks, and I have been, but we are nearing the finale.